is up everybody welcome to episode 126 of no one's ready for wrestling as i talk professional wrestling and give my honest opinion about the shows i watch and the news that i read for those of you who are joining and who are new to this podcast i am the one and only phoenix that rises from the ashes this is your boy shino d phoenix here and i want to thank y'all so much for tuning in this is going to be a big rant feel episode today. And it's a newsworthy one coming out of AEW. Well, first things first, what we're going to do, we're going to talk money in the bank, give my thoughts on the uh, pay-per-view, how I feel about it. And um, we're going to talk about some big... We're going to talk about a possible signing that might shake AEW to its core. And, pop, and another indie... One of the most popular women's wrestler. On the independent scene, signs with AEW, officially. And I'm very excited to talk about this one. Uh, we're also going to talk Slammiversary, give my quick thoughts on that. And it may lead to... And one match in particular that I feel like it might lead into one of the uh, knockouts being done with uh, Impact for now. Um, we're going to talk Monday Night Raw. And trust me, I got a lot to say. I'm going to talk NXT... As we are starting the build for TakeOver. And, like, it's a lot of stuff that we're going to be going through. So, grab grab your popcorns, grab a drink. Because this is going to be an episode that you don't want to miss. Now, as usual, guys, you know the drill. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter, at ShinoDPhoenix. I do live tweet for Raw, SmackDown. If I'm not live tweeting, usually A, I'm doing something important, or B, I might be going somewhere and I'm not watching a show, which usually I watch it on my phone. But I do live tweet for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, and on occasions, Impact, Slammiver- like Impact, I did live tweet for Slammiversary. Um... I also do NXT UK on rare occasions in Ring of Honor. And I also do Stardom for a brief, for uh, a while. So any other wrestling promotions. But I also use Twitter to hype up my Twitch channel, which speaking of, if you don't have Twitch, seriously, what are you waiting for? Sign up for Twitch because I am a gamer. I do stream on Twitch. Now, I'm probably not going to be streaming tomorrow because I'm going to be going to MechaCon and not only that we're dealing with a little outage involving our internet and um and yeah so literally follow me on Twitch Shino Shino Phoenix without the D I do stream games like Apex uh Overwatch and Fall Guys I dedicate an entire day of Fall Guys on Wednesday and you know what that means Cause it's a really fun day to just try and grab a crown. Gaming aside, gaming aside, you can also follow me on Instagram, Cool Man Sip. That's CYP, by the way. I do post uh, stuff involving wrestling. I did it recently with Thunder Rosa, and uh, like you, you hear why later. But I do post my stories on. If it's wrestling related, I do post on there. And I also post for my Twitch. And also you see gaming stuff as well. 
So if you like to see the personal me, follow me, Cool Man Sip. That's CYP. Anyway, Facebook users, if you have a Facebook, make sure you like the Facebook page. No one's ready for wrestling. That way you can stay up to date on the podcast. That way you can stay up to date on the episodes. And if there's an update, I will let you guys know on uh, Facebook. If you have Facebook. So, that's pretty much that. And let's talk Money in the Bank for a brief moment. Just quickly run through Money in the Bank, give my thoughts on the show, and in front of a live audience, which really was a breath of fresh air instead of doing it at a fucking Thunderdome in front of virtual fans. And on the whole, I thought this was a really good um, pay-per-view. I thought it was a really good pay-per-view, in my honest opinion. So we kicked things off with the pre-show. We had the SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line. We had the Usos taking on the Mysterios. The Mysterios are, had those titles. Um, uh, some highlights, I would say, like the opening, where the Mysterios were entering a portal. I thought that was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was really nice. Um, another highlight that I loved was... um where I believe it was Jimmy. I believe it was Jimmy who took the full brunt of the 619 to protect his brother from taking the uh, 619. It looked stiffed. But um, I thought this match was okay. I thought it was pretty good for what it was. But um, the Usos, they defeated the Mysterios. They are your new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. This is their seventh uh, title run as Tag Team Champions. And I was thinking, after what happened with Jimmy Uso, because I know there was a lot of people who were upset about it, like, why are you rewarding bad be- Why are you, like, rewarding bad behavior? And I, I understand that. But WWE's mindset, they feel like this storyline is too big that they just don't want to punish Jimmy Uso. And I think that's one of the reasons why that they won the titles. Now, I don't know how this is going to play out after this big storyline comes to a close. But maybe they make an example out of him. I don't know. And, um... But look, it was a surprise when I thought they were going to save it for SummerSlam, but it looks like they rushed it. And uh, they just want to get this storyline over and done with. That That's just how I see it. So, the Usos, they won. I thought it was a fine match for what it was. We kicked off the main card with the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match, and let me be real, I thought this was the weakest match on the show. I really thought it was the weakest match on the show. Now, I usually don't do this, but considering the reaction the crowd gave, I know Alexa got a big reaction when she came out, and she had new gear. Naomi got a big pop as well, so did Liv Morgan, and Asuka got the biggest pop out of anybody. In my honest opinion. Like, the crowd loves Asuka. So, and when there was, like, they even did an Asuka chant when she got the ladder. And you could tell she's well-loved by the WWE Universe. Now, there was one part I groaned at. And it was where you had Zelina and Alexa. And you could tell the crowd did not like this. Like, this whole magic thing... It's proven a point that it's not going to get over with the crowd. The crowd just went dead silent after that. Like, 
there was the beginning part where Alexa was trying to use her powers to try to get the briefcase down, but Oscar being the smart one, German suplexed her before that could happen. Now, the ending. Another highlight I will say, there was Nikki Cross who almost missed the crossbody. Like, she almost missed it and landed, her leg almost landed on the rope. And she took out everybody with that crossbody off a ladder. If that move went wrong, ew, they would have been terrible. Now the ending. This is what I wanted to talk about. You got all the women except Nikki Ash just brawling on top of the ladder. And the thing that really bugged me and rubbed me the wrong way was Oscar had a bird's eye view of Nikki Ash. Ash grabbing, like, literally grabbing the briefcase and winning. And I'm like, wow, they really made her look dumb. She could have just stopped her, but no, she was still brawling with one of the, with one of the, uh, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Alina. Maybe it was, um, maybe it was Liv. No, I don't think it was Liv. Maybe it was Tamina. I think it was Tamina. And she had a bird's eye view and she could have, like prevented Nikki from grabbing a briefcase, but she just lets it happen. Like they made those women except they made Nikki Ash the smart one. And, um, the rest, they just stood on that ladder looking dumbfounded to say the least. But like I said, I thought this was the weakest match on the card. Nikki Ash is, the winner of the Women's Money in the Bank for 2021. And look, Vince McMahon's a big fan of her. And it took them took him this long to see something in Nikki Cross. And it has to take her being coming up with an idea to get over a little bit. And look, Nikki, and I'm gonna reiterate this when we talk about Monday Night Raw. She is well liked backstage. There is nobody that has a bad thing to say about uh Nikki Cross. And I, I literally said the same thing about Oscar. There's no nobody in this company that has a bad thing to say about Oscar. Nobody. Like she's one of the most respected athletes, in my honest opinion. But that's that. Um, the Raw Tag Team Championships. I thought this was a fine match. I'm not gonna lie. This was a fine match, for what it was. And um. The crowd, they were a little bit dead in the beginning, but they actually picked it up in the middle. But, um, it was fine. That's all, that's the best way I could, that's the thing I wrote about this match. It was fine for what it was. But, um, I'm trying to think, is there any moment that I can remember that I thought was good? We had a near fall from the Viking Raiders after hitting the Thor's hammer. I refuse to call it the Viking experience. It's Thor's hammer. And God, I miss their finisher fallout. It, it, it's just so good. Like, <clears throat> it was a close near fall. I thought they had me right there. But, um, I felt AJ Styles and Omos, they retained. And that's what the right outcome was. Because I feel like this is going to lead towards Randy Orton and Matt Riddle challenging for the tag belts and potentially winning it at SummerSlam. I feel like that's the destination that we're at next. So, I, like I said, I thought this was a fine match. Bobby Lashley and Kofi Kingston. 
This was for the WWE Championship. This was a squash match done right. This was pure domination by Bobby Lashley. And I'm like, damn, this is what Bobby Lashley should have been like. But he dominated Kofi Kingston. This was not even a match. This was a fucking squash. At least this one was way better than the Brock Lesnar one. Way better. And I stand by that. He destroyed Kofi Kingston. Destroyed him. And Bobby Lashley put the hurt lock on him after hitting like three dominators on Kofi Kingston. And Kofi either... I think he taps lightly, but he was passing out. So, Bobby Lashley, he retained, rightfully so. And when we get to Raw, this is where I just had that itching feeling of where they were going to go next for SummerSlam. I thought the Raw Women's Championship match between Rhea Ripley and Charlotte, the beginning part, I wasn't feeling it, but they picked it up in the middle and the end. There were chants of, we want Becky... And so much, so much so that um, Charlotte actually flipped off the crowd and Peacock tried to censor it, which it was already too late. It was already too late. Maybe it got to her. I don't know. But we had, a, we had some really nice moments in this match. We had like um, Charlotte countering the Riptide with a DDT spiking her for a near fall, a top rope natural selection for a close near fall. Now, like, those those moments I thought was pretty good. That's where, like, as soon as the countered Riptide, that really picked the match up. Because it went to that downward territory. And then it went right back up. Because, look, I thought they had a great match. They had a great match. Now, Charlotte, she trapped Rhea's leg in the uh, steel steps. She kicked it, which, honestly, it could have been a disqualification. But, um... Like, it should have been a disqualification, but WWE logic. And she puts Rhea into the figure eight, and Rhea taps out, and Charlotte catches her 14th. Don't worry, I'm going to get to that when we talk about Monday Night Raw. Her 14th title in WWE. And look, the match was great. The match was great. And I thought both of these women, they bought that crowd back up into like they bought the crowd back up and they just they were going down chance of we want Becky the crowd was like bored and then they picked it up so kudos to both of these women for doing what they do best having great chemistry and when it comes to big matches regarding a paper when it's a pay-per-view now, the men's money in the bank ladder match, this is where Peacock was starting to piss me off. Let, let's just get this out the way. Peacock is terrible. It's terrible. They had this huge bug where, like, I had to restart Peacock to get the shit working. Like, I was so pissed off. Like, you know what I had? I did? I went on, t- I went on, uh, like, a timer-esque streaming platform. And I bought my laptop to the front. And I'm like, hold up. Let me try and restart Peacock. And then lo and behold, the fucking bastard wants to work. And WWE, apparently, they weren't aware of this. And now, they have to, they got to get that shit fixed. Because if 
that happens again, oh, I think they should just go back to the network. They should just go back to the WWE network. We didn't have a problem with the network. Why was this an issue with Peacock? But I managed to restart it. I watched the match. And my goodness, this was one of my favorite matches on this entire show. I could go to every detail about the highlights. Like, I thought the only person who did great in that Money in the Bank ladder match was Ricochet. Because you got to see what he was truly capable of in that lap. In that Money in the Bank ladder match. We've seen him do ladder matches before. If I can recall, I was at TakeOver New Orleans to crown, where they had to crown the vac- inaugural NXT North American champion. That ladder match with Ricochet, like, and Ricochet was in it. And I'm like, this man's about to do this and crazy stuff. And lo and behold, he did crazy stuff. He did a fucking, like, they recreated the spot at TakeOver in New Orleans where they tilted the ladder and Ricochet jumped off the top rope and did it like a moonsault or a tope, which I thought was fantastic. If Vince McMahon does not see what he has in Ricochet after that performance, he is doing a big, big disservice with uh, Ricochet because he could be a top guy if you give him the chance. We had also we also had interferences from Jinder Mahal and his guys preventing Drew McIntyre from getting the briefcase, taking away his moment, and they just dragged him out of the ring. Um, I think there was a power bomb spot where Kevin Owen, Owens he just landed on the top of his head. You could see him like clutching the back of his head. I think it was Seth Rollins who power bombed him on the ladder. And he's climbing up. Biggie stops him. Hits the big ending off the fucking ladder. Climbs up. Grabs the briefcase. And the place went nuts. I even had my reaction to Biggie winning. Because it was just a really awesome moment. And I don't know if you guys saw Faye Jackson's tweet about that. And this led to a trial... Like, it was a funny Twitter trial with um, Big Swole as the defendant and Suge D, Pineapple Pete, as the plaintiff, uh, the prosecutor. R- really funny stuff. If you didn't join that, uh, that the trial of Faye Jackson, it was so funny. So funny. And it was enjoyable. And I'm like, this should be a show. It should be a show. But I'm not going to go into details about it. You guys will know about it if you go to their, tw- if you go to Faye Jackson's Twitter. But Biggie winning Money in the Bank, it's a big deal. Honestly, it's a big deal. And they have the next organic baby face that they could get as, that they could put over as a top name. Biggie's one of them. Now, we could say that he could cash in on Roman Reigns. I, I don't see that happening. It would be nice, but I'm going to throw a curveball with money in the bank. You could cash in on any champion you want. And I already thought about it. SummerSlam. What if he cashes in his briefcase against Bobby Lashley and he wins the title to avenge what happened to Xavier Woods? And Kofi Kingston, you got a story right there. And it makes 
the most sense. And it would be a nice feel-good moment for Big E because I don't think he's ever held the WWE Championship. And if he, when he does, that's going to be a really great moment. But, um, like I said, I thought the Money in the Bank ladder match for the men was the best match on the entire show. Really great spots. Like, so many spots to just talk about, but I don't want to waste time. And it's just watching. If you have Peacock, watch Money in the Bank. Go directly to the men's Money in the Bank briefcase match. And you'll thank me later. That's the best way I could say it. Or you can find it online and um, watch that match and be amazed by how these men work their asses off. And it was really great. I enjoyed it. And like I said, I thought Ricochet was the uh, MVP of this match. And if... I say this every time. If WWE doesn't do more Ricochet and see him for not just him doing crazy stuff, but him being a top performer, then they're missing out big time. They need to push him to the top of the moon because literally you need, you need, um, to get new guys over. That's the best way I could say it. But this was awesome. And speaking of awesome, the main event, Roman Reigns versus Edge. This was awesome. This felt like a WWE main event. And it was really good. Edge still got a big reaction. Roman Reigns is just one of the best things in WWE right now. I don't care what, possibly the best thing in wrestling right now. Like you could say Kenny Omega. I don't see that as the case. Roman Reigns is the best thing like the best thing in professional wrestling right now because his character work is great his work as a heel is just fantastic and I'm like every time I see Roman come out as a heel I'm like it took them this long to realize that Roman is perfect as a heel and lo and behold here we are right now but this was an awesome match of course you got Seth Rollins interfering and he attacked Edge after applying the crossface with the uh, with the steel of the um, of the chair, and he super kicks him. We had Roman hitting the spear on Edge, and he retains. Now, we also had a brawl between Edge and Seth Rollins, which, like I said, this is leading towards a match at SummerSlam. So, the storyline there is going to be fucking great. Now, Roman, he grabs the mic, and I'm like, there has to be a surprise, right? So, he's like, now everyone will acknowledge me. So, he turns the, away, and out comes John Cena. Like, that reaction, oh my goodness. That was perfect. Pat McAfee going crazy. Like, it just it just really made... Michael Cole feels so much comfortable. And even Michael Cole himself said that he credits Pat McAfee for getting that passion back. Because he is showing it right there. But man, John Cena returning, confronting Roman Reigns, looks at the title, telling him, you can't see me. Like, that reaction was perfect. And that sets the stage for what we're going to get at SummerSlam. So, I'm looking forward to this. I think this is going to be really good. And Money in the Bank, like I said, I thought it was a really good show. 
I thought it was a really, really good show, and I enjoyed it. Now, did they follow it up with the Raw after Money in the Bank? Well, we'll save that when we get to the WWE portion of this podcast. We all, I always want to start with Money in the Bank first and give my thoughts on it. So it gets a thumbs up, two thumbs up. Like, if you ignore the women's match, Money in the Bank uh, ladder match, I thought that was the weakest match on the show. I felt like they could have done more. And let me just add to that with the women's Money in the Bank match for a second. I would have picked put Shotzi and Tegan or maybe Sasha Banks and Mia Yim in there to make it feel a little bit more interesting. And it would have been one of the one of one of the best matches. I thought this was the weakest out of all the women's Money in the Bank ladder matches. And that's saying something. But anyway, had to get that off my chest. Let's move to AEW. We got big, big stories revolving AEW. Now, let's talk about Buddy Murphy. Now, Murphy is one of the guys WWE seriously dropped the ball on. And the guy was just talented. Now, they ultimately let him go and... He's already scheduled for a match against Brian Cage. And he's under a 90-day non-compete clause, which we already did that discussion in the last episode about the non-compete clauses and why it's pointless just to hold someone because you don't want them to go somewhere else. Like, I really hope they do something more with um, these com- non-compete issues. Just have them go somewhere. I'm not, you know what? I'm not going to save my rant on that. Just go back to the last episode where I talked about it. Make it easier for yourself. Now, we know that Murphy said that he could be that Impact Wrestling is interested in him, but they're not the only ones. Dave Meltzer noted on the Wrestling Observer that AEW also has interest in, they also have interest in uh, Buddy Murphy. And he said, I know Impact Wrestling is after Buddy Murphy and AEW is as well. Murphy could be a very popular free agent very soon. Now we'll have to see what to see what he decides to do next in his career. Because look, he said, being in WWE made me lose my passion for wrestling. And I said, and I just told him, dude, I just said, man, if you go somewhere else, you're going to get that passion back. Whether it's Ring of Honor, whether it's New Japan, whether it's AEW, Impact, NWA, or you go in the indies for a brief moment, and you find that passion again. Now, both AEW and Impact could offer Murphy some great matches to prove, an opportunity to prove himself. Now, it's up to Murphy, and those two are really good spots for him to be in. And we will talk about Impact because I thought I think Impact needs to stop being sleeped on. Now, here's how we'll do this. Think of the matches Buddy Murphy could have in Impact. Him versus Josh Alexander. Him versus Chris Bay. Him versus Ace Austin. Him versus uh, Eddie Edwards. Him versus, um, let's see, who else is... Moose. There's Moose. Um, there's Sammy Callahan. Lots of good dream matches. I think I mentioned Josh Alexander. Willie Mack, uh, Rich, Swan, Rich Swan. I think that would be great. Trey Miguel. That's a money match. That is a money match. Now, 
if he goes to AEW, the, this is easy. Him versus Ray Phoenix. Him versus Kenny Omega. Um, Jungle Boy. Um, uh, let's see. Think they think. Miro. Him versus Cody Rhodes. Him versus um, uh, Frankie Kazarian. Him versus uh, Angelico. Him versus Ricky Starks. There's a lot of great opponents for him down in AEW. So, look, no matter where he goes, he's going to be a big name. And he's going to be treated with respect. And I hope he sticks it to WWE and tell them, this is what you missed out on. And they're going to be embarrassed. They're going to be embarrassed that they let you go just like they were embarrassed when they let Aleister Black go. And look at where Aleister Black is right now. Hell, they could relive Malachi Black and Murphy. That's possible if he's a babyface. Anyway, like, wherever Murphy goes, that promotion will benefit him so much more than WWE. And he's going to find that passion again. Telling you right now, he's going to find that passion again. Now, another signing, speaking of signings, we might as well talk about this because this is what AEW is. This is the big story this week. Not this one, but we're going to get to it. We know Jake Roberts, he was interviewed with... He did an interview with DDP, and he revealed that he signed a contract extension with AEW. So he said, thanks to Tony Khan, when I originally signed with them, it was for a 10-week deal. In eight weeks, the guy comes along with some papers and is like, you need to sign these. What for? It's your contract. He's like, dude, I only have two weeks left. No, you have another year. A few weeks ago, I buzzed Tony and say, I have four weeks left. What do you want me to do? Next thing you know, he starts setting up my stuff and says, you need to sign another piece of paper. I sign it again and again. No, I sign it again and after I signed it, I found it. It wasn't for a year. It was for two years. He's such a wonderful man. He gave me my love for wrestling back. It's great to be a part of it. And and I'm very happy for Jake Roberts. And like this is a really, really good moment for him. Two more years with AEW and he found his passion with that company. Got that passion back. I love it. Really good, really good to hear that. And I'm going to be seeing more of him in the next two years. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, grab your popcorns because this story broke on Wednesday and it got a lot of people talking. It got a lot of people like it it was trending on Twitter just for one name, CM Punk. CM Punk could be coming back to wrestling and this is this report was first broken by Fightful Select, Sean Ross Sapp. He reported that CM Punk has been in talks to make a return to pro wrestling as an in-ring performer. The report states that they've been told that AEW is most likely the landing's point, but there's no confirmation of a contract officially being signed, a timetable, a set return date, or any creative plans just yet. The only thing that is known is Punk and a company official have, have had ongoing conversations about an in-ring return. 
Of course, nothing is ever fully confirmed until the deal is actually done. Um, other companies have expressed interest in Punk coming in to work for them, and fans have ret- as fans have returned, but there's no specific offer made towards him. Punk nor AEW has yet to confirm this report, but they've been told in recent days that the higher-ups in WWE believe that Punk is headed to AEW. The last time... The last time CM Punk wrestled was in 2014. That was seven years ago. And that was in the Royal Rumble, where he got eliminated. Now, it's been openly talked about by both Punk and AEW executives... In the past, that there have been interest by Tony Khan about bringing CM Punk in a few years ago, but Punk felt like they never really made him an offer. And he has been open about returning to pro wrestling if the right deal was offered to him. Now, before we get to the all-out stuff, CM Punk himself is not denying these rumors. Like, if you go to his Instagram, he features a clip of a song titled Cyrus by the the Alan Parsons Project. And that is well known because that's the theme of the Chicago Bulls. And it only fueled even more speculation that he could be on his way to being elite. Now, another sign, according to Meltzer, on the Wrestling Observer forums is that there are things going on behind the scenes in AEW... In AEW, that suggests that if Punk isn't signed, then at least there's an understanding that he is with them. And he noted that there have been talks about certain dates with Punk, which is in, which is in a, like an indication that things are pretty far along, or he has signed. Now, Melson said it th- stated that things going on behind the scene as far as much as talks about certain dates. And such makes me think that if it if this isn't signed, they have an understanding, and unless there is a blow up, it it's happening. So maybe CM Punk is pulling the in, just trolling us. But man, like CM Punk and AEW, that's gonna get a lot of people to watch that product. And we don't know if he is up for it. Like, I don't see him returning to WWE. That That's not happening. That is not going to happen. And, like, imagine all-out ending, say the main event, Hangman Page beats Kenny Omega for the title. He celebrates. They celebrate out of the ring. Kenny Omega just getting up, realizing that he lost. He gets attacked, Okay. From behind in a hoodie. We don't know who it is. Until we see the GTS. And the hoodie's removed. And you see CM Punk. Everybody in that arena. Will blow that roof down to the ground. Because look. CM Punk is a top free agent. And if AEW could play their cards right. I could definitely see him. Doing some dates with All Elite Wrestling. Just put. Put a microphone in the guy's hand. He could get people talking in in buildings. And it would be one of the most talked about things for AEW. Now, could he be trolling? We don't know. We don't know. But he's not another 
Like, he's not the only big name that could be on his their way to AEW. Now, this story, according to a report from Bodyslam.net, former WWE superstar Daniel Bryan has apparently signed with AEW. And this comes on the heels of the news earlier regarding CM Punk being talked with being in talks with the promotion. If both names are signed, it could be a big game changer in many ways. Now, Bodyslam.net, they reported that Bryant is locked in and has 100% signed a contract with AEW, and the plan is to debut him on the 21st of September at the Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York City. Now, there have been rumors as of late of two major names that have signed, and those names will be bigger than Andrade El Idolo. With Brock Lesnar expected to return to WWE and Dave Batista retired and busy with movie commitments, the two biggest names available would be Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson and CM Punk. Punk is also said to be in talks with AEW. Now, it should be noted that no one from AEW or Danielson's side have commented on this. Now, what led to D- Daniel Bryan signing with AEW? Well, according to Dave Meltzer, the biggest factor was AEW's relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, Meltzer hasn't confirmed whether Brian officially signed with the company. Now, Brian has gone on record in the past by noting that he wants to wrestle for other promotions. And a few months ago, Nick Khan tried to have talks about New Japan doing a working relation with Daniel Bryan was the topic of that talks and it would have allowed him to re-sign with WWE while also letting him work New Japan. Now Melsa said, as far as Bryan Danielson goes, I'm pretty sure that whatever decision, I mean, there are a lot of factors that are going into whatever decision he, he would make and it was New Japan, AEW, and WWE. I don't think... He didn't consider anybody else. He has loyalty to WWE, and Vince McMahon has a lot of friends in WWE. And at the same time, in the end, the company who has who had a relationship with New Japan was going to be the favorite to get him. And that's one of the reasons why we might see Daniel Bryan at um, AEW on the 21st of September. And that would be a big get. A big, big get. And not only that, that deal apparently, according to reports, is that he could work less dates and he could um he could work matches in New Japan. So if that contract is legit, then that's a big win for AEW. We could relive him and Kenny Omega. Like, imagine him coming out to the final countdown. If Tony Khan gets the rights to use that for AEW. And you hear that? That place will blow up because they will immediately know who it is. The American Dragon, Daniel Brian Danielson, has returned and he is now on AEW. And it looks like it's happening because WWE told the 2K developers to remove Daniel Bryan from their game. So it looks like it it could be legit. 
And hey, if he wanted to wrestle at other promotions and just be happy, I think it would be fine for him. Now, like, and look, and I, I've seen people on social media bashing Daniel Bryan for making his decision on wanting to wrestle somewhere else. His contract came to an end. Has anybody ever thought about that? Has anyone ever thought about that? No. Like, those people who are just being pissy about Brian joining AEW, just, you're not real fans. You're not. Like, I'm actually happy for him if that's the case. Like, CM Punk, if they manage to get CM Punk, I think that's game over. That is game over. And I mean that in a good way. Like, if they could work out a deal with Punk, it would be a big get. Now, Brian Danielson, he could work New Japan while working with AEW at a lesser schedule. Because, look, he has a daughter and a son, if I'm correct. And I think that would be a really nice moment for him. Now, I do want to add this. Conan revealed on his podcast that he talked to Tony Khan if he signed Daniel Bryan to AEW because he wanted to book him in AAA. This is what Conan said, and I quote, I will tell you this because I did ask Tony Khan. The only reason I asked him is because I wanted to use Bryan Danielson in AAA. I was like, hey man, you have signed Bryan, Bryan Danielson? He goes, you know I can't tell you that. And then I looked at him and I go, bro, if that... If that beep shows up in Chicago, that place is going to melt. And he just smiled. So I think he might have, but he hasn't told me. So I think it's literally confirmed. I think it's confirmed. Now, although there are no, there's been no confirmations from AEW or Danielson, it certainly looks like he has signed. As noted earlier, people in WWE believe that he is headed to AEW and they sent out a memo to the 2K developers to know that he should not be included in the game. The belief is that Brian would be under a similar deal as John Moxley that allows him to wrestle for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, there's no word on when he might debut for AEW, but if CM Punk is going to debut at one of the shows in Chicago, then it would make sense to hold off on Danielson until the show is in New York City. And I think that would be a big get. Like I mentioned, it's a big get. And I think, I honestly think Conan possibly gave it away. If Tony Khan did the smile, it's like he knew. He knew that's going to be the surprise. One of the big surprises that's way bigger than Andrade. And that's Brian Danielson. Everybody will lose their fucking mind. Even with CM Punk. You want to have people blow your uh, arena off the chart? Bring both of them in at the same time. Hell, I could see... I could really see, in my honest opinion... Say Hangman Page is about to lose... And you got the good brothers... Trying to get involved... And you see two mass figures trying to prevent them... From doing any more damage... And, like, they watch as 
Hangman beats Omega. That could be one way, but like I said, Daniel Bryan coming to AEW, that, that's going to be a big get. Not only that, he could work New Japan and wrestle, like, he could wrestle Okada, he could wrestle Zack Sabre Jr., a dream match. I am telling you right now, if we get that match in New Japan, I don't care if it's at the Tokyo Dome, I don't care if it's at the G1, if we get this match, that is going to be one of the most talked about matches for New Japan. I will literally, like, you could inject that shit to my veins because both of these guys are one of the best technical wrestlers right now. Like, inject that shit in my vein. That would be great. Now, speaking of another name that has signed, and this really put a smile on my face when I read it, La Meta Meta is officially part of AEW. All the hard work, she is now a full-time contractor with AEW. Now, for those who don't know who Thunder Rosa is, I've, I've seen Thunder Rosa wrestle before. It was at a Beyond Wrestling show during WrestleMania week when she teamed with Holiday to take on Chris Dickinson and Jaka. Oh, good times. Good fucking times. And I only met Holiday because she's awesome. Um, now, Rose, Rosa first made a name for herself in Lucha Underground in 2015 until she departed in 2019. She worked for Ring of Honor during this time and she became a big star in NWA. When COVID-19 shut down, the NWA f- from holding a it shut down the NWA from holding events. The NWA owner Billy Corgan and AEW president Tony Khan worked out a deal where she could work for AEW. Now, Rosa made her debut on the 22nd of August on the August episode of Dynamite where she would challenge former AEW Women's Champion Hikaru Shida for the championship at All Out. Since that time, she has worked on all programs, AEW Dynamite, AEW Dark, and Elevation. Her memorable highlight came where she took on Britt Baker in a really great lights-out match. Aside from her in-ring work, she also owns Mission Pro Wrestling, and she she also has, like, a wrestling school, and she had, like, it's also with former WWE star Jazz. So, what led to her inking the deal with AEW? Well, here's some details about it. Fightful reported that her NWA contract ran through the year, but a buyout of the deal was orchestrated, and Rosa had requested her release from the NWA as far back as 2020, but that was rejected. Now, it was said AEW President Tony Khan was very careful about contract tampering and wanted to play by the books on the situation. Originally, Khan and Billy Corgan worked out a deal for Rosa to work for AEW when NWA stopped holding shows due to the COVID-19 pandemic. According to Meltzer on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, that everything was worked out with all parties for her to get out of her NWA release on July 1st. Rosa then signed with AEW shortly 
after that, but AEW waited a few weeks to announce it. Now, Meltzer added that Rosa got a great offer from AEW, and it's likely she will be pushed stronger now that she is under a contract full-time. And I gotta say, this is a great get for AEW. And that women's division, that women's division is really picking up. And I wrote on Instagram, like, if I could get it up real quick, because I just, I was in a world of emotions right now. So, if I could get my Instagram story up, this is what I said. I'm crying tears of joy for Thunder Rosa. This makes me very happy and proud. Future AEW Women's Champion right here. And I guarantee you, she will be the next AEW Women's Champion. She will be the next... AEW Women's Champion. And all I could say is this. She will be a big major player in uh, this company. I'm calling it right now. You want somebody that could uh, that could take the title from Britt Baker? There she is right there. That's Thunder Rosa. But uh, man, I think that's an all-out match. And she wins the title. And all I can say is, like, this is really good on AEW's part because I feel like she is going to be a big name, even though she was a big name on the indies. She's going to be a big star for AEW in their women's division. And not only that, she could get some of the women from Mission Pro to make it here at AEW. And I love it. I think this is really great... This is a really great move. And I couldn't be more happy for her. And the fact that she signed on her birthday, the fact that it was announced on her birthday was just even better. Even better. I think that's what's going to happen. I really think that's what's going to happen. I, I, I love it. This is great. Absolutely great. Oh my goodness. I, I love it. I love it. That women's division could use Thunder Rosa. They need help. Now, quickly run through the results of AEW Dark Elevation and Dark. We had Lance Archer defeating Zachariah. Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy defeated Chaos Project. Hikaru Shida defeated uh, Dulce Tormenta. Powerhouse Hobbs defeated Lucas Chase. Frankie Kazarian defeated Baron Black. Jungle Boy defeated Angelico. I thought that was the best match on the show. Red Velvet defeated Julia Hart. Gun Club defeated Lee Johnson and uh, Brock Anderson. Luchasaurus defeated Fuego Del Sol. Seriously, sign Fuego Del Sol, please. Please. Like, he would be a nice addition to AEW. Think of the tag team with him and Sammy Guevara. That would be dope as hell we got Dante Martin defeating Sean, Sean Dean uh, Ty Conti and Serena Deeb they defeated Vert Vixen and Jasmine Allure we had Penta El Cierro Mero and Eddie Kingston defeating Dra JD Drake and Cesar Bononi on Dark the Blade defeated Ryan Mantel Thunder Rosa defeated Kylan King the Acclaim and Private Party defeated Allen Five Angels and Ten of the Dark Order and the Varsity Blondes. Abaddon defeated Promise Braxton. 
We had the bunny defeating Big Swole, the greatest attorney for Faye Jackson. And the funniest one at that. I call her Auntie Swole. I don't know why. It's just, it, it has a nice ring to it. Because she's awesome. But the reason is because Big Swole is currently feuding with Diamante. And she got distracted and the bunny grabbed the tights and she beat uh, Big Swole. We have Warlow destroying Chad Lennox and Dustin Rhodes defeating Aaron Solo. And that was pretty much dark. Seven matches. Like, less is more. I think it's really perfect that way. And I feel like Kylan King is going to be the next person signed with uh, AEW full-time. They just haven't announced it yet. Now, Dynamite Fighter Fest Night 2. I thought this was really good. I managed to watch it um, when I was at training for my job. And uh, I didn't want to miss out on it. So... I watched it with faint eyes during one of my breakout sessions when we were taking a quick break. And I managed to watch the first Labor of Jericho. (coughs) This was chapter one. We had Chris Jericho's versus Sean Spears. I thought this was a a nice opening match. Not going to lie, I thought it was alright for what it was. Jericho hits the Judas effect. Uh, He kicked out of the C4 and he Sean Spears tried to use the C4 with the with the chair assist, but Jericho got out, sends him into the corner chair, to the chair face first, hits the Judas effect, and he wins. Now, post match, you got MJF saying like doing a mock congratulations to Chris, and he says if Sammy Guevara or anybody else tries to come out and help him during his labors, the deal is off. Now, MJF then announced Jericho's second labor, a no-disqualification match, and that's going to be against the deathmatch machine from GCW, Nick fucking Gage. And that is next week for Fight for the Fallen. So much so that Chris Jericho is bringing the pain maker to that match, and This is going to be a bloody affair. That's the best way I can say it. This is going to be bloody as hell. The fact they got Nick Gage just for this appearance alone, that's going to be some must-see for uh, Fight for the Fallen, which is stacked. Uh, I thought Doc Gallows versus Frankie Kazarian, I thought this was a really good match. Well, not really good. It was a good match, just not at that level of really good or great. It's just good. Now, Gallows and Anderson, they continue beating up uh, Frankie. You got Don Callis and Omega coming out. No sign of the Young Bucks. And Callis introduces Omega, passes the mic over him and says, and Omega says, Kazarian, you've been a thorn in my side for weeks. But now the tables has turned. And he was botching his line. He... And I'm like, the elite hunter becomes, and he was just forgetting for a sec. It's like, it's the elite hunter became becomes the elite hunted. So he goes for the V-trigger, but Hangman Page comes out. Crowd's chanting cowboy shit. 
Paige, he gets in the ring, and he's, and there's four guys in there. You got Callus, the Good Brothers, and Omega, and Callus says, Paige, he can certainly count to four, and he's a bit outnumbered. Paige, he hands Don Callis a drink, and he just goes after Omega. He, had, you got Gallows and Anderson attacking him, bringing him down. The Dark Order came out to make the save, and we got Paige hitting a buckshot lariat on Carl Anderson, and that's just a build between the 10-man elimination match between the Elite versus the Dark Order and Paige. Now, remember, the stipulation is that if if the babyfaces win, they get opportunities at the specific championships. So, that's that. So, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really good. We go backstage and we got Dasha talking with Brian Cage and it's a message from Team Taz. Now, Taz mentions that they are proud of Tony, uh, no, Ricky Starks for winning the FTW uh, title. And Stark says there will be a big celebration for him in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he's like, I'm from New Orleans, so I know a thing or two about uh, celebrations. So we get back to Dasha and Cage, and he's Cage wonders, are they in the building, which, which they weren't. And says he says, so they're having a celebration next week, huh? I love celebrations. So this is going to lead to um, him wrecking the celebration. And we might get an all-out match between one of the members of Team Taz, which I am going to assume is Powerhouse Hobbs. I don't know. But I think that's where it's leading to. We had Darby Allen taking on Wheel of Yuta. This was a fine match. It felt like a match you would see on Dark, but the highlight of this was the face-off between Orange Cassidy and Sting. Oh my god, I have never laughed so hard. I, I had that on replay like so many times. I don't care what anyone says. It was funny. These shin kicks with him and Sting got a chuckle out of me. And even Sting doing the weak fate pounding of the chest was just so, <laughs> so entertaining. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, that was so funny. Like, I never, never laughed that hard in my life. It was so fucking good. But Darby Allen, he won with a coffin drop. And that was pretty much it. It was a simple match. Fine for what it was. So post-match, you got Orange Cassidy getting knocked out by the Blade with the brass knuckles. And we know that they're supposed to have a match later on Dynamite. So that will play a part later. I thought the AEW Women's Championship match was... Eh, it was okay. I felt like it could have been better, but it was alright for what it was. Um, We had a Beast Bomb near fall. We had... um, We have... Uh, Britt Baker countering the Beast Bomb. Turns it into a lockjaw, which I thought was pretty nice. They even did the Eddie Guerrero spots, which I thought was pretty cool. But, again, really wasn't into it that much. When I watched it again, I'm like, this is fine, but it could have been better. But, uh, Britt Baker, she retains, and rightfully so, because she was not dropping that title to uh, Nyla Rose. She is that over. 
And her match also did a million views uh, during the breakdowns. And again, Britt Baker is a draw. Need I say more? We had um, a press conference between Proud and Powerful and FTR earlier during the show. Now, that will take place at Fight for the Fallen next week. Now, Dax Harwood said, look, we come from different parts of the country, but both came from poverty. And he respects where they come from, but we don't respect them as men. Now, Ortiz says that they've been here since day one, and you guys are just a roadblock and our way of getting tag team gold. And Santana, man, he was the MVP in this segment, showing old photos of his upbringing, and you could hear his voice breaking a little bit, and, like, it felt genuine. Really good stuff. And he talked about how his mom had to take the uh, slumlords to court, and Dax says all he cares about is God, his family, and wrestling. All that's left to do is beat their ass, and there was about to be a brawl, but there was a big pull apart to get them, uh, to stop them from happening. So this match, I think this should have implications of a title shot. And I think Santana and Ortiz will be the one to challenge the Young Bucks. Or, and I'm throwing this idea out here, if the Dark Order and Hangman Page win, what if it leads to a triple threat match? I could see that. John Silver and Alex Reynolds, the Young the Dark Order, you got the Young Bucks, and you got Santana and Ortiz. That would be insane. Or they do the Dark Order versus the Young Bucks on television, and they do Santana and Ortiz for All Out, in which Santana and Ortiz, they win the tag team titles. I feel like that's the direction they should go with. I mean, that's just how I see it. I think it would be a great match. I honestly think it would be a great match. Tony Schiavone. He's in the ring. And he introduces Andrade. El Idolo. And Andrade, of course, takes the microphone away from Tony Schiavone. And he says, Tranquilo, tranquilo. He says, I have a surprise for everyone. And his assistant steps up and he shows Tony something on his iPad. And... He actually takes off his glasses to double check to see if this is true. And he's he announces the new executive consultant to Andrade, Chavo Guerrero, and the place went nuts. And Chavo, he makes his way to the ring, he hugs Andrade and he says, "Wow, you remembered?" He continues on by saying AEW is the place to be. And he couldn't believe all the talent back there. And he says, with all due respect to them, he doesn't see anyone that has as much talent as Andrade. Out comes Death Triangle. Ray Phoenix, Pac, make their return. And you got Alex Abrahantes with him. Pac says, Mr. Andrade, I don't know who you think you are. Last week, we heard our name in your mouth. So, ladies and gentlemen, for the record, let it be known, the Death Triangle hides from no one. Forgive my uh, impressions. It's not that good. Now, Andrade thanks the three of them from coming, and he says, Penta and Phoenix are good, but I am great. Andrade is great. 
and he's speaking Spanish and Chavo backs takes the mic and he says like everyone knows they are great but their waists aren't shiny enough and if they want to go to the next level they should listen to Andrade now he's asking Penta and Phoenix why are you working for Pac now he tells them that they now work for Andrade Pac says look I don't Pac doesn't know what planet Andrade is on and he says that they don't work for him and they are a team and a family Phoenix says they're a family and he also he and Penta are the real face of the Latinos Penta says now he's speaking in Spanish and Alex translates he's like what Penta says seriously that's that's just a, I love that Penta says why would we want to join a group with you when you're not even on our level so they rush the stage and Andrade says everyone works for him everyone and a group of referees they try to keep them separated so look let me say this if we get Ray Phoenix versus Andrade Ray Phoenix versus Pac no not Ray Phoenix versus Pac that would be an awesome match though by the way Pac versus Andrade Penta versus Andrade any member of the Death Triangle versus Andrade oh my god and inject that shit in my veins because that would be an awesome fucking match literally that would be an awesome match to say the least and I'm telling you like, I think him and Chavo is a better partner than him and Vicky. But Chavo and Andrade, perfect, perfect, perfect. Perfect idea. I love it. I thought it was pretty good. Orange Cassidy versus The the Blade uh, was pretty good. And um, we had a beach break and an orange punch for, for the win. Post-match, you had... Orange Cassidy getting his revenge, puts on the brass knuckles, hits the orange punch, knocks out the blade, and that was pretty much it. Thought it was pretty good for what it was. And our main event, the IWGP United States Champion was is on the line as John Moxley defended against um, Lance Archer in a Texas death match. And all I can say is this: it was brutal. You got John Moxley stabbing uh, Lance Archer in the forehead with a fork, and it was it, all I can say is that match was just insane. I could go over every detail, but again, do yourself a favor and watch that match. I thought it was really good, and we have a new champion. Lance Archer needed that win more than uh, John Moxley because if Lance Archer would have won. If Lance Archer would have lost in his hometown, then what do you do next with him? So he needed this win. And also, they revealed that he will be defending against Hikuleo at Fight for the Fallen. So that should be a pretty fun match. So, all in all, I thought Fighter Fest Night 2 was good, but I thought Night 1 was the best one, in my honest opinion. I thought Night 1 was the best one. Now, Next week at Fight for the Fallen, we got a no DQ match between the Painmaker Chris Jericho against Nick Gage. We got the celebration for the FTW champion Ricky Starks 
FTR versus Santana and Ortiz. Christian Cage and Jurassic Express versus uh, Matt Hardy and Private Party. Hardy Party. You got QT Marshall and The Factory apologizing to Tony Schiavone. We got Tony Khan to make a major new live event announcement. And if I could predict, maybe it's at a bigger venue. Or maybe, if things are right, they go to the UK. They do a show in the UK. That's just my bold prediction. I think they're going to announce we're going to have a show in front of a United Kingdom audience. And I think that would be really good on their part. Because they do have fans from the UK. Um, We got the Elite versus the Dark Order and Hangman Page. It'll be Alex Reynolds and John Silver and Evil Uno and Stu Grayson with Hangman Page. So that would be a fun match. And like I mentioned, Hikaleo versus Lance Archer for the IWGP United States Championship. Also on two weeks, during Dynamite's homecoming, we will have Cody Rhodes take on Malachi Black. So that should be really cool. Like, AEW stacking their cards up, and I'm really enjoying what they have in store for us. Um, so that was, that was AEW. Let's talk, speaking of New Japan, let's talk Kota Ibushi. And, uh, and this is really sad to hear. He's, was thought to be suffering from the side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine. He was ill and pulled from some events, but that was not the root of his illness at all. PW Insider, they reported, they posted a statement from New Japan Pro Wrestling where they corrected their previous report to make it clear that Kota Ibushi was not ill due to the COVID vaccine. He's currently suffering from aspiration pneumonia, something that has no connection to COVID at all. Um, This is what they issued. New Japan Pro Wrestling deeply apologizes for the concern and inconvenience caused by this news. We appreciate your understanding and hope that you join us in wishing Ibushi the very best in his recovery. Kota Ibushi also get given COVID-19 tests, which he came up negative. He was given extra time to heal since he was pulled from Summer Struggle shows, and he will miss the 22nd, the 23rd, and the 24th show in uh, Nagoya. Now, it's unclear whether he will take part in July 25th Grand Slam event and I just hope that Kota Ibushi is feeling much better because man it really sucks to hear that it, it really does and um, like I said I just hope for the best and hope that he pulls through and comes back healthier to say the least now I did watch Slammiversary I do have some thoughts on it some quick thoughts on the pre-show match, we had the knockouts tag team titles on the line. Decay, Rosemary, and uh, Havoc, they dethrone Fire and Flavor, that is Tasha Steeles and Kiara Hogan, to win the titles. Now, it seems like Kiara Hogan might be done with Impact Wrestling. Um, she recently announced on her OnlyFans account that she will be leaving the company for good as Hogan wants to explore other options. This is what she said. Um, what's up, babies? 
I'm in Nashville for tapings, and you guys will be the first to know that this is my last Impact tapings, and I'm going to see what else is out there for me. I'm so excited and scared, but I know whatever I choose to do, I'm going to be the best, and that's on period. So, since Kiara Hogan might be done, it looks like Fire and Flavor will split up, and they will be no more. But I thought the match was pretty fine for what it was. We had the Ultimate X Division Championship match. That that match was insane. Really great stuff in this match. But I thought it was really a really great opener. Josh Alexander, he retained over Chris Bay, Ace Austin, Trey Miguel, and Petey Williams. Really, really good stuff in that opening contest. We had a mixed tag team match. It was Brian Myers and Tennille Dashwood versus Matt Cardona and a mystery partner. And I immediately said, it's probably going to be Chelsea Green. And lo and behold, Chelsea Green is back home. You may remember her as Laurel Vanessa during her time in Impact. She made a name for herself down there. And I'm glad to see her back home. Because all I wanted to see her do was wrestle. And now she's back on impact with Matt Cardona and WWE again dropped the ball with Chelsea Green and you could say oh it's injuries that happens yes injuries happen but she was ready to make her debut and then they let her go they fucked up right there but um Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green they got the win here really fun uh mixed tag team match we have W. Morrissey, a.k.a. Big Cass, who looks in great shape. When I saw him, I'm like, dude, he looks like he has transformed his body and his mind. He looks like he's doing, he's having a reset on himself. And I thought this was a fine match as well. thought it was pretty good. But I knew Morrissey was going to win this match. I mean, he is dominant. You need to keep it that way. We had an impromptu match with Finn Juice coming out, taking on Madman Fulton and Shira. Really not much to say here. Um, Chris Saban and Moose. This was a good match. But I was hoping, Mo- I thought Moose was going to win, but he loses to a roll-up. Yikes. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what, they, what they're going to do next. Just that we're going to have to wait and see. For the Impact World Tag Team titles, we had the Good Brothers reclaiming their titles. They won against the current champ, the former champs, Violent by Design, which consists of Joe Doring and Rhino. They also defeated Willie Mack and Rich Swan, And Falaba and No Way Jose, who made his Impact debut, which I thought it was nice. Really nice surprise. For the Knockouts Championship, I thought that was a really great match. And the mystery opponent was none other than Thunder Rosa. That was a dream match and they delivered. But Deanna Perrazzo continues to prove why she is the best thing in the Knockouts division. So she wins and out comes Mickey James. Out comes Mickey James. She confronts the champion and she 
praises her for a long list of accolades, and she invites her to the NWA Empower show, which is an all-women show. Now, Perrazzo, she disrespected her, and that led to her eating a super kick from one Mickey James. And we will see Deanna Perrazzo on NWA Empower. So, just want to give you the heads up for that. Finally, the main event. This is what I was paying attention to. We had um, Kenny Omega versus Sammy Callahan in a no disqualification match for the world title. This was awesome. This was really awesome. And I honestly thought, I honestly thought like Sammy Callahan was going to take home the gold for Impact. But that was not the case. We had Kenny Omega. He hit the one-winged angel on the thumbtacks, which looked brutal. And he beats Sammy Callahan. Now, they celebrate the... You got the elite celebrating, Don Callis and the Good Brothers and Omega. And all of a sudden, the lights go out. You hear Bullet Club. And out comes Jay White, the never-open-weight champion. And I'm losing my mind. I'm like, what? Jay White is here? Jay White is here. This is insane. And they closed it with somebody charging in, which it was revealed to be David Finley. And they have a match at Resurgence for New in New Japan. So that's going to be pretty fun. So overall, I thought Slammiversary was pretty good. Really good show. With some surprises. Jay White being one of them. And... I did see clips of Jay White going back and forth with the Elite, which I said, this is awesome. Because Jay White, he has transformed himself, and he is just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So that's Slammiversary, but there's some impact. There's another impact news. Um, PW Insider, they reported that Aiden English, who performs as Drama King Matt, has signed with Impact Wrestling. And they teased his debut in Slammiversary, by the way. We also got John Schuyler. He's also working for Impact Wrestling. You may remember him as Ricky Roberts in WWE. And he's also competed on AEW on several occasions. He had a torn ACL and toured like last year. And he also toured with uh, All-Star Wrestling in Europe. Now you got Impact as his home. They also signed Savannah Evans. Now I've I've heard of Savannah Evans before. She made appearances in Wildcat, and um, she's all, she's not a former WWE talent, but she has received ring time with AEW, and she was trained by George uh, South. Now Impact Wrestling, they're making plans for the future, and they will do. They will do it with a few new additions to the roster. As we previously reported, Chelsea Green has no written contract that we have that I've heard, and No Way Jose is not signed to a deal despite appearing on Slammiversary. I'm happy for Drama King Matt. I think he's going to do great on Impact, and I'm glad that he inked the deal with them. Savannah Evans, expect big things from her. I'm telling you right now. And you got John Schuyler. Working with Impact. Really, really good stuff. So, Impact bringing their A game. I love it. 
And we might be seeing more names to come in the future. Just throwing that out there. If they get Murphy or not. But I think Impact is doing some of the best work this year. They really are. And I feel like they need to get some respect that they deserve. That's just how I see it. Alright guys, before we continue on with the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to Amino. Now, you may be asking yourself, Hey, uh, Shino, what the hell is Amino? Well, it's an app that is pretty much a network of communities that you can explore, discover, and obsess over things that you like. Say that you love video games, you want to join the video game communities on Amino, they have it. You like music, they have it on here. Like different genres. Like, for me personally, wrestling. Wrestling is one thing I go, that I really love. And I'm part of Wrestling Amino and I met a lot of amazing people on here. So, and it's fun to interact with everybody because they are very friendly. Very friendly people out there. So, once again, if you want to try out Amino, it is free. I am part of Wrestling Amino right here and Th like this is where I got started before I got into podcasting so if you would like to download this app it is 100% free I am telling you it is worth it download the Amino app and hopefully I can see you guys on Wrestling Amino and now back to the show <laughs> As you guys may be aware, you might have seen some of the uh, NXT talents working dark matches on the main roster. Now, WWE's preparing for more call-ups to the main roster, and some of those superstars are getting their first taste of being on the road with uh, WWE through dark matches. We've seen, a, we've seen a few names come up recently, and it seems that WWE has a plan. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful reported that WWE is planning to keeping those same superstars on the road with them for Sunday and Monday for Raw. And with Money in the Bank being done respectively, it was noted whom will be sticking around for dark matches. Now, he said, we've seen a lot of names from NXT appearing in dark matches of late, implying call-ups could be on the horizon. Now, the plan is to keep most of them that we've seen on the loop through Sunday and Monday before a few have to head back to NXT on Tuesday. Some of the names that you may be familiar with, Karrion Cross, which I will explain about him when we talk about Monday Night Raw very soon, Scarlett, who I will also talk about, Bronson Reed, Zeon Quinn, Odyssey Jones, Aaliyah, Zia Lee, and many more have made dark match appearances in recent memory. Now, Austin Theory might even be on his way back to the main roster as well. And this is an interesting time full of change for the WWE main roster, and they will reportedly have souped up rosters in a matter of weeks. Now, I don't know out of these names that... Uh, well, I know uh, that Reed, Cross, Scarlet. They're definitely going to be heading up pretty soon. Um, but the rest... I know Aaliyah's definitely called up. 
she got traded to Monday Night Raw, so we haven't seen her yet. But, um, I don't know what, uh, they have in store for some of the other people. Now, Austin Theory is an interesting case, and I will explain why when we talk about NXT, but, oh man, all I can say is whoever got, who's ever got plans for a call-up, I wish you the best of luck on the main roster. You're going to need it. Either you sink or you swim, and nine times out of ten, you're going to sink with that rare 1% chance of you swimming to success. Now, moving on, how is AEW talked about backstage in WWE? Well, Aria Davari was interviewed by Wrestling Inc., and he revealed that everyone was talking about AEW, but not just because it's the competition. They love pro wrestling. They want to keep up with everything going on, which is fair enough. Now, he said, to me, AEW is doing pro wrestling, and that's what the fans love. That's what I love. That's why I've really been liking it. They've been doing pro wrestling very, very well. And it was talked about uh, in WWE tons. Everybody was talking about it. And it's not necessarily just because it's AEW, but I feel like people who really can't care about the job, they usually keep up with everything that's going on. Now, WWE might try and no-sell AEW, but they are certainly paying attention. Now, it's no wonder that they plan so many things to coincide with something that AEW seemingly books uh, a few weeks prior. Now, this has happened not just a few times, a lot of times. And it might be a coincidence. It could also be a planned tactic, but WWE will never cop to it. We'll have to see, continue paying attention as WWE and AEW are both continuing doing their thing as the years progress. You also never know if we could see another head-to-head battle on television. So, look, and they have also, I want to add to the fact that um, some of the talent, they have friends down there that work at AEW. And they want to show support to them as well. Hell, Britt Baker in an interview said that Adam Cole supports what she does and he watches her. And Britt Baker watches what Adam Cole does on NXT. So, see, it's I wouldn't say it's a, fr- a big rivalry competition. It's just friendly competition, in my honest opinion. But, everybody wants to support their friends that are working at different companies. It's not about who's the best. It's about going out there and showing the world why you are the best. Whether it's AEW, whether it's WWE, whether it's not even those two big promotions, whether it's Impact, whether it's New Japan, or AAA, or NWA, or Ring of Honor. Go show the world why you're the best. Everybody will support you, no matter what promotion you're at. That's just how I see things, in my honest opinion. Anyway, let's move on. Where in the world is Bray Wyatt? We haven't heard much from Bray Wyatt since losing to Randy Orton at WrestleMania 37. We haven't seen him since. And which I still think it was a terrible decision to have him lose to Randy Orton at WrestleMania. Now, PW Insider, they reported today that there's still no timetable for his return to performing for the company. 
It was also added that those in the company have remained quiet about why it's circumstance. Reminds me of the Keith Lee situation. They remain quiet for that as well. Beyond the idea that he's being held off TV for a specific reason, which is still unknown, and somebody also reported that um, it might be due to a medical reason, which I don't know if that's true or not. But aside from the fact that it's not a creative issue, when WWE first announced that they would be returning to live event touring, he was advertised for shows on August, such as the ninth episode in the Amway Center in Orlando. Now, this appears to be based on the reports that Wyatt will be kept off until August. So, I will wait to like, August is literally right around the corner. And if he shows up at the Amway Center, I think that would be a nice little pop. But the question is, what do you do with him? I think the storyline would be take all the magic away from Alexa Bliss or something and return it back to him or something. I don't know. Like, what do you do with Bray Wyatt when he comes back? That is something that we all have to, that they have to decide on. But just so much. I don't know what their plan is. I really don't know. But hopefully Bray comes back. And... He comes back healthier. I don't know if it's a health reason or they're just holding him back until we get to the month of August. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Just going to have to wait and see. Now, Tony Storm, she will be debuting on SmackDown uh, tonight. I'm recording this on Friday, by the way. And PW Insider, they reported that the current plan for Tony Storm is for her to debut as a babyface. When she makes her debut. Now, here's my take on this. I honestly feel like Tony Storm works better as a heel, but she has done a babyface run. I mean, you go back to her time in NXT UK, she knows how to get over as a babyface. So, and she also could play a pretty, pretty good heel, too. So, any role she's in, I think she could excel at. But I just hope WWE doesn't change, like, everything about Tony Storm. Because she is really good in the ring. And I guarantee she could be a top star for WWE if you give her the chance to be that said top star. Like, I hope that's the case. Now, she will be in action against who? I don't know. I'm just going to go out and say it might be Naomi. It could be someone else that's not doing anything. Like, where the hell is Mia Yim? Like, that's what I want to know. Isn't she a part of SmackDown? Or they might move her to Monday Night Raw since Keith Lee is back. I don't know. Just going to have to wait and see. But Tony Storm, I'm looking forward to her debut on SmackDown. I think she's going to be pretty doing pretty good shit. And uh, it's going to be fun. That's the best way I could say it. It's going to be fun if they, do, if they play their cards right. Now, what I think is cool... WWE just issued a statement that SummerSlam will be airing in movie theaters. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, They said SummerSlam will bring the biggest event of 2021 to movie theaters nationwide for the first time. The event will air live on Saturday, August 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And will be one of the first sporting events held at full capacity in Arlington Stadium 
and the first time it will be held at an NFL event venue. So Iconic Events releasing is proud to be partnership in partnership with WWE to bring their incredible brand to movie theaters coast to coast. And so, that's what um, CEO Steve Burnell said. SummerSlam is a marquee event that demands to be seen on the big screen with big sounds and an auditorium full of excited fans. So Iconic Events re- re- releasing bring live and film entertainment of all types of movie theaters as special limited engagement events so that fans can gather together to watch their favorites on the big screen programming including live pay-per-view sports music comedy specials stand-up comedy events award-winning television specials broadway productions exciting holiday specials family events live events for album releases rock concerts and music docs that celebrates diversity now iconics national theater network represents the country's preeminent cinemas offering enhanced guest experiences high quality food and beverage service and um reserved seatings to ensure families can enjoy a night out watching SummerSlam in a lot in their local movie theater so I, th- I think that's pretty cool like if I ever go to the movie theater even though it would take the stigma out of Peacock being a complete bitch at month for that money in the bank one and seeing a bunch of other wrestling fans and just chatting with them I think that would be a really nice moment I think it's really cool so and I feel like they should do that more often like I'm just saying if they can't make it to that said event have local theaters movie theaters have SummerSlam or WrestleMania or one of the big four pay-per-views or the big fives air at their at a local movie theater I think it's perfect in my honest opinion now like I think that's pretty cool I really think it's cool now we go to the next story finally The Rock is coming back to WWE now Andrew Zarian reported on the Matt Men Pro Wrestling Podcast he is saying that The Rock is currently planned to be at Survivor Series pay-per-view by November and the reason being is because Rock's appearance will commemorate the 25th anniversary of his debut with the company and his first televised match was a traditional Survivor Series match in 1996 Zarian also noted that tentative plans are for the show to take place at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York Rock's 1996 debut was also in New York City and, but in Madison Square Garden. I mean, it would have made much sense if you did it in Madison Square Garden. And it would be a nice callback. I'm, I'm just saying. But beggars can't be choosers. WrestlingNews.co heard a while back that there were talks regarding Rock wrestling on the show, possible in a tag team match, but we haven't heard much about that in a while. Now, presumably, The Rock does on... Whatever The Rock does on the show will kick off a storyline with Roman Reigns, which I think they're planning that match for WrestleMania next year and in Dallas. So I think that's going to be pretty fun. So, yeah, I think it's really cool. Dwayne Johnson coming back home 
to WWE. And I know everybody's going to be going crazy for The Rock. And I think that would be nice. I think that would be pretty cool, in my honest opinion. And I guarantee Roman Reigns, he's going to come out and he's going to tell Rocky to acknowledge me. And then you got the start of the feud right there heading into WrestleMania next year. I love it. I think it's perfect. I honestly think it's perfect. Now we talk about Monday Night Raw, which I like to call the WVB, the Weird Vince Booking Show. I got to take that from Tim from Pro Wrestling Unlimited because that really gave me a good idea. Uh, This show, man, I don't know. what. Like, I'm not trying to say all of it's bad, but it's just that there's so many weird booking decisions as of late. Like, you come off hot with money in the bank, and the way that you follow it up, yeah, not in my interest a little bit. But you did have a hot opener with John Cena, and he's doing the Summer of Cena tour, which you get used to seeing Cena on Raw and SmackDown. Like, I don't mean that as a bad thing. I miss John Cena. I really do. Now, Cena, he opened the show with a massive pop. And he tells the rest of the crowds, look, find your seats. And he actually, and I thought this was really cool. He pointed to a fan who was celebrating his uh, 11th birthday in the crowd, which I think that's nice. John Cena is just a humble guy. And Cena says he came to see the fans. He missed this. He loved the confusion, the chaos, the electricity. He points to the chant to chance for him and against him. Like the let's go Cena chance, Cena sucks. And he says, everyone is live and here. Now he talks about how loud the crowd is and, they, and they're popping, like they're making the loud noises again. And he calls it defining electric Monday Night Raw from Dallas, Texas. That's where Raw took place. Cena goes on to, expl- to say that he's here to explain himself after the money in the bank return and he showed up and ruined the championship celebration of the current universal champion Roman Reigns now he jokes about the various reaction from Reigns Paul Heyman, Michael Cole and Pat McAfee who brought Cena back to WWE and he points at the WWE universe the fans is like you guys did and he go he talks about how they we can finally get together, cheer, boo, whatever you guys want to do, as the fans who bought back Cena. So did Reigns. Now Cena says he's here for the Universal title. Even though he's on Raw, you could have done it on SmackDown. I'm just saying, just a little bit nitpicking when I when I talk about this. Now, he says, where is SummerSlam at El- Arlington Stadium in Las Vegas. Why? Here's where it gets interesting. And he talks about headlining a record-breaking SummerSlam event, a record-breaking 17-time championship win, but it's not because any of that. It's because Roman Reigns is an asshole, and they just bleep that part out. Like, you, you could... I mean, if you can if you can uncensor bullshit, you could literally uncensor asshole. Just just literally go away from the PG era and just 
make it a little bit adult friendly. Hell, I say asshole a lot. Now, Cena said he believes Reigns needs to, needs to be knocked down a peg. And he says this pathetic Roman Reigns experience has gone on, on long enough. He calls Reigns an arrogant, self-absorbed, overhyped, overprotective, overexposed gimmick who is not as over as he says he is. And that is coming from Cena, which is a callback to how Cena was overexposed and overhyped and overprotected by the WWE. And it's like deja vu. You're doing it to Roman. Now, Cena, he's talking about how if you're really that good, the people will acknowledge you. And he gets half the people in the section to pop and tells Reigns that if you're great, the fans will tell you. And he says, I'm going to be on SmackDown and I cannot wait to meet you. And he says, let's get to business now. And out comes Matt Riddle. A face-off I will never forget. First Sting and Orange Cassidy, now Matt Riddle and John Cena. And we get them saying, bro, 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 bro. And just exchanging bros. And that was it. I thought it was pretty cool. The opening segment I thought was fun. I love that interaction with Riddle and Cena. I thought that was pretty cool. But this led to a six-man tag between Morrison and the Raw Tag Team Champions, AJ Styles and Omos, taking on Matt Riddle and the Viking Raiders. This match was fine. And that's just me being fair. It's just fine for what it was. Now, Riddle, he sprayed some of that drip-drip on on the back of Omos, and he wanted you to believe... And he put it back to Miz who unfortunately doesn't have a timetable return. And that kind of sucks for Miz. It really does. And so he's trying to go after the Miz. Morrison is distracted, gets hit with the Viking experience, or it's really the Thor's hammer. And the Viking Raiders and Matt Riddle, they pick up the win. So I'm thinking this is pretty good. This is really good, in my honest opinion. Well, not, no, 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 not good. I just said it was fine. Fine match, but it led to next week, which we're getting a Raw Tag Team Championship rematch between the Viking Raiders and AJ Styles and Omos. So, this is why I said this show has been booked weird. Like, even if Vince knows the product is stale, why isn't he doing anything, you know, to just try to make Raw must-see again, in my honest opinion. But we have this, I guess. Elias, he's in the ring, and he talks, says that the truth will last forever, and he's like, WWE stands for Walk with Elias. Riker interrupts on the big screen, and he says, he will interrupt Elias now as everyone else has, and he's going to... He's going on about everyone being sick and tired of Elias, always introducing himself. And after tonight, we will no longer have to hear the Hello, I am Elias line ever again. And we had a Symphony of Destruction match. I could care less about Jackson Riker. I really could care less about him. The crowd 
Half the crowd was booing this guy. So much so that WWE actually piped in some of the cheers for Jackson Riker. And I'm like, it is very, very evident. This match, honestly, I did not care about until like the end where Riker superplexed Elias to the uh, tables. Like, it was a boring match. I, I just did not care. I didn't care. And I'm being completely honest with you. I don't care about this feud. This should have ended a long time ago. Let's, like, move on. You got other talent that you could be utilizing. Why are we seeing the same thing? This is a rematch between these two, but it's under a different stipulation. Like, there was, like, four rematches on the show. This was one of them. And you wonder why I call it... Why I say this is a weird Vince booking. And I felt like it went down a peg a little bit. Anyway. We see Mansoor backstage. Talking with Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville. About him and Ali teaming up next week. Now Ali he walks up. And Deville reveals the plan for next week. And Ali said he never said anything about teaming next week. And he knows nothing about it. And he wasn't happy about it. But Mansoor talk, talks about Ali trying to re- teach him a lesson as of late. And says, what better way than to stand next to him in a match? And Ali then agrees to the match and says, you better not screw this up. So, maybe this is just for one night. I don't know. If this works, then hell, you got a tag team right there. WWE desperately needs to fix their tag team division which is why I've been saying you gotta merge it like an Ali Mansoor team I think that would be pretty cool if you play your cards right but I don't know they probably won't play their cards right now Sheamus walks in he's complaining about having another match with Humberto Carrillo that's rematch number two and DeVille says it's only fair to give Carrillo a chance to earn a title match and Sheamus says, don't be surprised if Carrillo leaves the match in a solid steel mask after Sheamus smashes his face. And he just walks off after that. So we got a rematch. And if Sheamus, and if Sheamus loses, Humberto gets a shot at the United States Championship. And that's that. We get the coronation of Charlotte Flair celebrating her win at Money in the Bank. Flair says... This feels good, and she's proud to be standing here as your queen. She talks about how the past year hasn't been good to us, but she is now here. She is out opportunity. And she rips Ripley as a snake and an opportunist. And Flair says Ripley can do as many of her moves as she wants to, but she will never measure up to the original. And she talks about the outpour of text she got And you got fans chanting Becky Lynch, Becky Lynch, Becky Lynch. And Flair says, yes, Becky's at home breastfeeding while she, while I'm here dominating the women's division. And actually, Becky Lynch won tweet of the week, in my honest opinion. Becky Lynch wins tweet of the, of the week because she actually responded to, um, Charlotte's claim, like Charlotte's uh, response. And it was a fiery one, if I could get it up on Twitter. This is what she said. Breastfeeding at home and still the most over woman in the division. That's because it's true. 
that's because it is true. Because Becky Lynch is still over. And I'm telling you right now, when she comes back to WWE, she is going to get a big fucking reaction. She's going to get a big fucking reaction. Now, Flair goes back to talking about all the congratulatory messages that she received. And Flair says, the win makes her a one-time Final Divas champion, a five-time women's champion on Raw, and a five-time SmackDown women's champion, making her the only 11-time women's champion in WWE. Now, I pause here, and I say, what? So we're not going to exclude NXT? We're not going to exclude... We're not going to include NXT. We're not going to include her women's tag team title win. Um, hello, anybody in WWE, it's, it's technically counts as 14. Like, I feel like, and and this is what I feel like they're doing wrong, in my honest opinion. They, they want to pretend that NXT does not, um, like, they want to pretend NXT does not exist. In the eyes of Vince McMahon. And don't worry. I, I got a lot to say about how the higher-ups really f- view NXT. And trust me, it's going to piss you off much like it pissed me off. Now, it was noted in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that WWE nixed the Queen's NXT women's title reigns from her overall record in the company. That cut her number of title reigns. Because, look. I could count on fingers. You got a you got a five-time Raw Women's Champion, a five-time SmackDown Women's Champion. She won the Divas title. She's a two-time NXT Women's Champion. And they're forgetting that she won the Women's Tag Team titles with Asuka. That's 14. I counted it with my fucking fingers. So, they feel like NXT does not count when it's technically part of their brand. Now, they... Make they're making her an eleven-time women's champion because they feel like they want to ch- they want her to chase after her father's record. When you know that she is a fourteen-time women's champion, like I just find this to be bizarre. Like, why are you guys constantly making changes when you don't have to make fucking changes? Like, if you real just save it, save it when we get to the NX when we get to NXT. I don't want to blow up right now. I don't want to blow up right now. Now, Flair goes on about how she can beat Rhea Ripley any night of the week. And if she had the opportunity, she beat Ripley. And then out comes Rhea Ripley. And she asks Flair if she thinks she can beat her any night of this week. Like of the week. Why not tonight? In which the fans pop. And Flair says, look, you're in no shape, Rhea, to fight after what I did to your knee last night. And she mocks Ripley for how she was hurting, and she declare and she declines. This brings out Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville, and Deville says, "Congratulations, Charlotte Flair, on your incredible accomplishment." But I want to bring up what you said about beating um <clears throat> beating Rhea Ripley on any night, and Pierce makes it official. So we got rematch number three right here. The Raw Women's Championship rematch will take place in the main event. So that's that. Rematch number four. Natalia and Tamina versus Nia and Shayna. I just did not care about this match. The crowd, I felt like, did not care about this match at all. 
Natalya and Tamina, they beat Nia and Shayna. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe this is the time where Shayna goes off on her own. She leaves Nia and Reginald. But instead, Nia headbutts Reginald. And she has words with Jackson. No, she headbutts him and talks some trash to him as the fans boo. And Baszler says she warned Reggie. And they head to the back and the crowd is chanting Reggie sucks. And then you got the 24-7 nonsense and I I state this every single time. The 24-7 title should be exclusive to YouTube and social media. It should not be on TV. It will make things better because that's wasting time. And of course Reginald pins uh, Akira Tozawa. He's the new 24-7 champion. He does... He just jumps over everybody, celebrates by flipping to the back, and that was pretty much that. That was pretty much that. I just cannot find myself to care about it. I really couldn't. Now, apparently Vince is a fan of uh, Reginald, so we're probably going to see more of him and that 24-7 nonsense on um, television. But I still stand by this. you got to keep the 24-7's title stuff on your YouTube channel, make it exclusive to YouTube, make it exclusive to your social medias like Twitter and Instagram and your Facebook. Like, that's easy. And you can have more time. Like, I was watching a clip from main event that somebody posted on Twitter, and it was a match between Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. Why isn't that a feud on Monday Night Raw? Like, Ricochet countered a lumbar check and turned it into a Canadian Destroyer. That is awesome. That should have been a feud. But no, 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 no. I felt like that was just... uh, uh. I thought Sheamus and Humberto Carrillo, they had a meh. I, I just did not care about this match. I really didn't. Sheamus, he beat Humberto Carrillo. And what's next for him? Damian Priest. I feel like Damian Priest is going to be next in line for the... um. United States Championship, and I feel like he's going to get that title at SummerSlam. We have Bobby Lashley. He comes out with MVP, and Lashley says, look, I did all the talking that I needed to do last night when I destroyed Kofi Kingston, so no more talking. MVP takes the mic, and he he was taunting the crowd in Dallas for being a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Look, my auntie's from here, not from Dallas, but she's from L.A., Louisiana, and she loves the Cowboys, okay? I have family down in Dallas, Texas that love the Cowboys, okay? Um, He goes on about how Lashley made a statement at the expense of Kofi, and he talks about Kofi's recent words of Lashley going soft actually lit a fire within him, which is true. MVP says, whoever answers the challenge, you will be annihilated, And he declares that no one will take this WWE title from Lashley. No more women, no more champagne, no more fun and games. And as Lashley said, no more bullshit. Again, uncensored. They need to do more of that. They need to do more of that. MVP says they're back in business. And he's hyping up Lashley. And Lashley asks, who's going to be the one to answer this challenge? So they wait. And out comes a returning Keith. Lee and God knows how much we miss Keith Lee like it it just felt good to see him back and he answers the challenge and I'm thinking this should be pretty good 
Now, this match was all right, I guess, but I feel like it was just a bad time. And it feels like Keith Lee felt like he was in the lower card. I don't know if Vince gave up on him or something, but Keith Lee, he loses to Bobby Lashley, and then he gets pushed to the side for returning Bill Goldberg. He comes out, the crowd pops big, as I sat there moaning on my in my chair, and he walks up to Bobby Lashley, and he says, I'm next. And MVP's holding him back as Lashley wants to fight him. And I feel like this is their way of saying, we couldn't get, um, we're going to uh, get Goldberg because we couldn't get Brock Lesnar. That's what I feel like is the reason. So that's that. Like, there's your match at SummerSlam for the WWE Championship. Hell, I would not be surprised if they put the title back on Goldberg because they feel like they have a reason to sell tickets. They have, they feel like they have a reason to get people interested when nobody is going to be interested in Goldberg hurting, holding yet another title. And this is his second time, if I'm correct, challenging for a WWE title at SummerSlam. This is the second year in a row. And this lies a problem that WWE has. They don't have, like you got it in Keith Lee. He could be your next top babyface for Monday Night Raw if you give it a chance. But um, that's just how I see it. That That's just the way I view things. Anyway, Jinder Mahal, he's in the ring, and it was his birthday on Monday Night Raw. And he gets he, it says it gets even better as Drew McIntyre is not Mr. Money in the Bank. And Jinder shows us how his, how Veer and Shanky... Like, I think Vince finds Shanky funny, in my honest opinion. I don't know why. He interrupted uh, interrupted the uh, Gender and Drew match two weeks ago. And Gender show... And they also triple-teamed Drew. We also see how Gender thought he had his family sword... Drew's family sword, but it was broken. And Drew had the actual sword... And he destroyed the motorcycle. And he talks about how karma always comes back around. And he shows us that how they attacked Drew at Money in the Bank and put him out of the match. And Jinder said he can buy 10 motorcycles, but Drew will never have the WWE title shot as long as Bobby Lashley is champion. Now, Jinder allows Shanky to sing him happy birthday, but Drew appears from behind with a chair and he just takes down both Shanky and Veer with the chair and I'm like I mean that's fine I guess so it looks like we're getting a few between these two going into SummerSlam okay just that's all I can say just okay okay that that's it just okay and oh boy this is the thing I've been seeing on Twitter on Monday night Jeff Hardy versus Karrion Cross, and oh I got a lot to say about this now, Karrion Cross makes his Raw debut. He currently holds the NXT champion, right? The crowd gives zero reaction because they don't know who this guy is. They haven't presented Karrion Cross as a way of, hey, this is somebody you should be, keep an eye on. He has the fu- He's the future of this company, right? And I know most people find Cross boring. I've heard that from a lot of people on Twitter. 
Like, he didn't come out with the the Fog, Scarlet, who wasn't even on with him, which makes me question that they're trying to make her wrestle. I don't know. And it's just, it felt or just generic, and it makes Adam Cole say it best. You're nothing without the entrance. You're nothing without the woman. You're nothing without the Fog. Everything NXT did to make you special won't mean nothing. You know what makes... Adam Cole special here, they ring the freaking bell. And those words couldn't be more true. Now, Jeff Hardy. First things first, I am happy that no more words is, uh, <clears throat> uh it, no more words. I'm just very happy to see that theme back in front of a live crowd, which got a big pop. So much so that Matt Hardy on Twitter actually hugged Share the gift of him hugging his brother because you know that theme is awesome. And it got a really nice reaction for the crowd. Now, this match lasted about two minutes. And Matt Hart, not Matt Hart, Jeff Hardy pinned the NXT champion with his foot on the rope. Now, this is where we get into the debate. And this is where I have to bring my reasoning to this. You bought in Karrion Cross, right? And this is his Raw debut. And he currently holds the top championship. And on NXT, your goal is to make him look like a dominant threat. Now, this is where my little problem comes in. If you felt that Jeff Hardy was going to beat Karrion Cross. Or if he was going to lose, it would have been a lose-lose situation because you would have shot yourself in the foot. Because you're going to have fans bitching that Jeff Hardy deserves better after he came back to no more words. Then you're going to have one, the other fan saying, you just debut Karrion Cross and you have him lose in his debut match. He's not the only person who came in to NXT, um, who came to the main roster as a champion. Like, I'm surprised nobody's mentioning this, but... Do you remember? Do you remember when Charlotte Flair, when Charlotte Flair, uh, came to uh the main roster as as the NXT Women's Champion at the time in her first title run, and she lost to um Natalia, and it was just it just makes me question what, just what? That's all I could say. What? And I, I just looked at this and all all I could say is all I could say is this. It that it reminded me of that. Now, some people are gonna be saying, well, it's part of a bigger story. You shouldn't be upset that Cross lost. Now Peter Rosenberg tweeted this out. Cross losing was interesting. In fact, so so was Jeff winning. Stop thinking of it as it relates to NXT. It doesn't. But he got a story on Raw now. Both of your complaints on about wins and losses, fam, weak. And S- Sam Roberts, like, commented saying he was wearing their championship. He was wearing the NXT championship. And, it, and I just say to myself... Why would you do the match anyway if you knew this was going to be the outcome? And also, you're going to be doing a 50-50 booking. 
Because if Cross is going to be facing Hardy again, Cross is going to get his win back. And then you got to do round three, which I'm going to presume is going to take place at SummerSlam. I don't know. But even if Jeff lost, people would be complaining about that. You know how you could have fixed this situation? The match should not have happened. We wouldn't be dealing with this if the match didn't happen. You could have put someone that was low on the card, like, let's use Drew Gulak as an example against Cross, And you establish how dominant he is. He got his first loss to Jeff Hardy. And yes, I understand that it's part of a storyline that he used his foot on the ropes and he wants his win back. I understand that. But it just makes... But it really sends a message to what how Vince McMahon really views NXT. But what was the reason for Karrion Cross's loss and his match? Now... Andrew Zarian talked about this on the Matt Men Pro Wrestling Podcast, and he revealed something he was told from someone in WWE, and they wanted to know why fans were so upset by this news. Here's why. Maybe you shouldn't have your NXT champion be pinned. You know? You wouldn't be dealing with this nonsense. Maybe the match shouldn't have been booked. Now... It was also stated that Cross's loss to Hardy is just the first step towards something bigger down the line. And Andrew Zarian said, you know what the justification is? He cheated, so it's a cheap win, but he's a former world champion. So it's like, like it just shows you the lack of consistency with their champions. Jeff Hardy's a mega, mega star. He changed the industry for smaller guys. He created new, a new time of wrestlers. I asked about out it and they said, I don't know why everyone is freaking out about this. It was just one step in the direction we have for carrying cross. And this is leading into something like, I don't know, man, but Zarian uh, said that now the plan probably is that he's going to murder everybody. Like, I don't know, but Looks like Cross would be heading to Raw anytime, like, after his run as NXT champion. But it also sent a message of how NXT is really viewed by the higher-ups in WWE. And this is reported by John Alba. He reported that WWE officially views NXT as a developmental. Now... It was also looking like Vince McMahon was sending a message. That's because it was. It was also said that McMahon doesn't give a damn about NXT. And that's very true. Because New Report backs it up. And that's what John Alba says. They view NXT as a developmental, not a third brand. So, let me get this straight. You view NXT as developmental. Yet you put Charlotte Flair on NXT to try and boost ratings against AEW. You mean to tell me you put NXT, this was not Triple H's move, you put NXT on Wednesday when Dynamite was going to debut on Wednesday to try and stop their momentum. And yet now all of a sudden you're saying it's a developmental and it just proves the point that Vince McMahon does not give a shit about NXT and you cannot convince me otherwise. Like sources in WWE tell me NXT 
is officially viewed internally as developmental rather than the third brand as Paul Levesque's team has promoted over the past few years. NXT, of course, was quite literally established as developmental initially, but it has been promoted often over the past few years as the third brand. Now, this has caused a big problem when it comes to the black and gold brand's roster and their storyline being regarded as important as well. Like, here's my take on this. Vince McMahon does not care about NXT. He doesn't care if you had a successful run down at NXT. It just goes to show Vince will change everything about you that made you special and then mold it in his image. And if it fails, oh, well, you're going to the bottom of the drain. Like, let's get, let me be real for one second. Like, if you're, like, for those of you who are going to defend this, let's stop for one second. Put yourself in Triple H's shoes for one second. Put yourself in Shawn Michaels' shoes for one second. Put yourself in the team of NXT in their shoes for one second. Put yourself as a wrestler down in NXT in one second. How would you feel if you hear your, the owner, the chairman of this company, the higher-ups, Talking about NXT not being treated as a third brand, but they see it as a developmental. It's not a surprise. You would be upset and rightfully so. You would be upset and rightfully so, and I don't blame them one bit. One bit. And so much so that the people in NXT were upset. They were pretty pissed off. How would I put this? They were upset that um and shocked that cross lost. And I'm gonna throw something a little bit out there. And I know it's a rumor, but I just wanna take it with a grain of salt. Just a little bit. And it's just something that's been on my mind. Cause what if what if he might have heat? That's just an idea that I'm throwing out there. What if he has heat behind the scenes? Who knows? But they were surprised about that outcome. But here it is. If you were baffled by the booking of Karrion Cross on Raw this week, you weren't alone. Several NXT talent and staff spoke to Fightful about their shock and frustration about around the NXT champion losing to Jeff Hardy. One talent told Fightful... That it felt like a message was being sent, which it was, because Vince is pretty much telling you, I don't give a damn how you guys succeeded down there in NXT, but when you come work with me, you either sink or you swim. That's pretty much what he's telling you. Though they didn't elaborate on what they thought that message was, there was significant frustration from those that we spoke about, we spoke to about how Finn Balor Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Santos Escobar, Oni Lorcan, and others have worked hard to help make Cross as dominant as possible. Like, if you're one of these guys that try to help get this guy over as a dominant monster and seeing what they did on Raw, you should be frustrated too. Put yourself in their shoes as well. Now, the general mood that those who spoke was they were not mad, but disappointed vibes as they felt this represented how NXT brand was viewed by higher-ups as a whole, which we mentioned. 
We've heard that Cross appeared to be in good spirits backstage after the match, though one talent present did note that Cross was put in an unfavorable position, considering his spot as a protected talent on one brand and a new talent on another. And that's pretty much how I feel about it. Like, again, you put yourself in Triple H's shoes and you hear higher up saying that, oh, um, you're not important. Oh, um, you're, uh, NXT is not important. It's, just, it's not a third brand. Maybe that's why people had a hard time watching NXT after having that stigma in their mouths. How does that get people to watch NXT if that's the case? That's an argument people need to be making. I'm not trying to say that I'm upset that Jeff Hardy beat Karrion Cross. You put them in a position, you put them in a situation where it's a lose-lose situation. You shot yourself in the foot if that's the case. Like, that is a mistake that you guys made. You shouldn't have done the match in the first place. But looks like we're getting the storyline when Cross comes up officially a part of Monday Night Raw. But that's just how I feel about it. Like, <sighs> anyway, Kevin Patrick catches up with Cross in the ring and he acts on his thoughts on what happened. And he says, Hardy just made the biggest mistake of his life because in the end, everyone will fall and pray. And he grabs the NXT title and heads to the back. So I already said my t- my case about the Cross, Jeff, Hardy stuff. Like, I don't need to re- reiterate myself again. Then we get Alexis Playground and Lily is back. Oh joy, she's back. Fresh out of time and time out. And she's on the swing. And Eva Marie and Piper Niven, I'm still not calling her Dewdrop. Even Marie asked if this is a joke and thought Dewdrop tossing Bliss around last week would have taught her a lesson. And she ignores them but says hello to Piper Niven, which they're calling a Dewdrop. Now, she says hello back and Eva tells her not to. And she's threatened to have... Eva threatens to have um, Piper trash Lily at one point in a trash can. And Eva doesn't want to waste her time with the set with Bliss or Lily, and it ends with Eva Marie falling down, which was terrible, and I'm just thinking to myself, nobody is going to care about this Alexa Bliss, Eva Marie feud, that does not scream excitement, it just doesn't, like, it really doesn't, you're not going to convince this viewer that people are going to watch to see Eva and Alexa. I can't even tell if Alexa Bliss is a babyface or a heel. She's more of a neutral. She's probably the biggest babyface feuding with Eva Marie. Like, what? 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 Just what? That's all I ask. What? Anyway. Raw Women's Championship match, main event. This was not as good as... Like, I, I really wasn't feeling this match. I thought the Money in the Bank match was better than the match they had on Raw. And this led to Rhea winning via disqualification because Charlotte walked out of the ring, hits her with the title, and she retains said title. And you got Ripley attacking Charlotte post-match. And out comes Nikki Ash with the briefcase. She cashes in. 
and the match is official. D- does a crossbody, pins Charlotte Flair, and Nikki Ash is the Raw Women's Champion for the first time. Look, I'm happy for Nikki if, because like I mentioned, she's one of the most well liked people behind the scenes, and um, all I can say is. It's really, if you're a Charlotte Flair, if you're Charlotte Flair, let's put, like, Charlotte's run as champions have been very short because WWE is just doing this as a way to chase a number and it's, like, it doesn't make the the title feel important, in my honest opinion. It just, it loses its prestige if you're just going to drop it for a short title run. And I want to take what Lufisto said because I still have that interview I did with Lufisto and I asked her point blank, in your honest opinion, what makes a championship prestigious? And I'm about to go to that interview I did right now on my iPhone and I use this a lot. So I asked Lufisto, What makes a championship title prestigious in your eyes? Now, Lufisto is an indie legend. She is a legend. She says the championship being defended, the way the champion is presented, the promotion being 100% being their champion. That is the words of the wise wounded owl Lufisto. Like I like I don't know how long she's gonna have I don't know how long Nikki Cross is gonna have that title run, but I feel like they're just doing this to give Charlotte yet another title. I don't know if we're getting a rematch. I don't know if this is gonna be a triple threat at SummerSlam. I don't know. I just don't know. But all I'm saying is WWE, they gotta play their cards right. Cause I know Vince McMahon is very high on Nikki Ash. So, whatever they got planned, play it well. Because if it backfires, it's going to backfire in the worst possible way. But that was raw. I mean, like I said, it was a weird episode. I feel like they could have done a better job to follow it up with um, with Money in the Bank being done. It's just, they could have done a better job. That's just how I say it. NXT, I thought was a good show. Not their best, but they're getting ready for TakeOver, which is confirmed. And speaking of TakeOver, there's actually talks within the people down in NXT. And that we might be moving to a... They might be changing a venue for TakeOver 36, which I honestly think it's needed. Now, Dave Meltzer reported in the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that while WWE is advertising a show for TakeOver 36 in Orlando, there is talks they can move it as of right now the show is scheduled in Orlando. And Meltzer pointed out how it makes sense for WWE to move it to Las Vegas when they could probably do 5,000 or 10,000 fans or more compared to 300 in Orlando, which I think is a better move. Hopefully, Triple H and his team are thinking, look, if SummerSlam is going to be at a bigger venue, we need to do the same thing. But they haven't announced ticket sales. I don't know if it's still going to be 
stuck at the Capitol Wrestling Center. Just if I was Triple H, move the Capitol, just move out of the Capitol Wrestling Center, go to a venue down in Las Vegas, and have Takeover be booked in front of five thousand fans instead of three hundred. Make it feel like presentable or something. I'm just throwing that out there. I think it would be a really good idea. But NXT, I thought, was a pretty good show. We opened with uh, Samoa Joe, and he is ready for a fight. He's not in a business suit or anything. He's in his jeans. He's in his shirt. He's like, TikTok, guess who's come to smash your clock? And he was pretty much calling out Karrion Cross. And Regal rushes down the ring and says, this is not what I wanted. And Joe cannot be calling out superstars. And Joe reminds Regal of their agreement that if he can get physical, if provoked. And Regal said Joe entered the ring last week as a referee. And Cross laid his hands on a referee. And Joe goes on to say that, look, Cross is out of control and he needs to be put down. And he and Regal, he tells Regal, you have, he has no control of Cross and probably didn't know about his little field trip to Monday Night Raw. Joe is here to put Cross down, and Regal says Cross is on his way here, and when he gets here, all hell will not break loose, and he wants things to be handled peacefully. And the crowd's chanting, let them fight. And Joe says, because of my respect for you, Regal, I can guarantee that, I can guarantee this will be the end of this but I can't guarantee that it will end peacefully and someone's going to be put to sleep tonight. So I thought it was a really good opening segment to get people ready to what I know is going to happen for um, NXT, for the TakeOver build. So I thought it was pretty good. We had Kushida and Bobby Fish defeating Diamond Mine. I thought this was all right. A really decent opening match. Uh, Kushida and Bobby Fish, they get the win. When Kushida applied the hoverboard lock on Tyler Russ and he taps out. So like I mentioned, TakeOver 36, that's announced. And we already have our first match confirmed. On NXT UK, it is revealed that Walter will defend his NXT UK championship against Ilya Dragunov in front of a live crowd. I think it's perfect. They had an excellent match on NXT UK. I I don't know how they could do it in front of a live audience, but they need to bring up the A game. Have it be a 60-minute time limit. That's how I would do it. I'm just being real. Because they could um, tear the house down. We have Frankie Monet in action, and as she takes on AC James, a.k.a. Avery Taylor, and... I say this about Frankie Monet. She is going to be a future NXT Women's Champion. I am calling it right now. I am calling it right now because... Because Frankie Monet, she is going to be the next big star. She really is. Now, you got the Robert Stone situation. You got Mandy scouting talent. And this should be pretty fun, I guess. This should be pretty fun. Now, Mackenzie Mitchell, she was interviewing Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory about the loss about the about Johnny's loss last week to Karrion Cross and Gargano says he's taking the loss rough but he's okay Kyle O'Reilly walks up and he mentions look that theory had some words from uh for me on Twitter 
and he challenges him to a match and is on later tonight. And Gargano tells theories that he got himself into this and you have to get yourself out of it. And he says Theory is on his own tonight and he tells Theory to go get him and gives him a jab of encouragement. So, and we get this match later on after this sit-down interview with Wade Barrett who does this interview with Bronson Reed and he talks about how losing the NXT North American title to Swerve hurts big time. And he's taking it rough and he's not okay with letting everyone down. Reed says he's going to fight harder and then every than ever now and he will be wrestling Adam Cole next week. Barrett asks about this and Reed says, why not fight the best? And he says, Cole ran his mouth last week and he shut him down and he says the same thing will happen next week, but this time he will finish the job. And that was pretty much that. And we, I think we get that match next week. And I think it's going to be pretty good. We had Kyle O'Reilly and Austin Theory. They had a really good match. And Kyle O'Reilly, he won with the heel hook. And the, it was a really good match. I'm not going to lie. It was a really, really good match. We got Legato Del Fantasma. They're in the ring with some of the Mariachi band as they were gonna they were teasing the Mariachi Madness musical. And Santos Escobar says he was going to give us a sample of his music heritage, but he's changed his mind. And he dismisses the Mariachi band members and says he will not lower himself to do to this to entertain to do this to entertain us. He's not going to do the hit row thing. He goes on and talks about how he will take the North American title from Isaiah Swerve Scott. And out comes hit row, who I still think is the best thing on NXT right now. B-Fab, they insulted, she insulted Legato Del Fantasma. You got AJ Francis rapping. Then Scott, and I'm like, Escobar curses some in Spanish and says he's going to take this title back to Mexico. And Adonis says, bingo, we've got action. And hit roll, they drop the mic, they head to the ring. Legado Del Fantasma, they, they're ready for a fight. So we got the brawl and um, Escobar, he drops Scott and he picks up a guitar and he goes to swing it, but B-Fab grabs it and snatches it from him. Escobar turns back around and, and Scott just drops him. And he grabs a guitar, and Joaquin Wilde, if I'm correct, yeah, they they surround him, and he taunts Escobar with the belt, and he warns Swerve that not to hit Wilde, but Swerve hits him anyway. So, if it was Monday Night Raw, we would have got that segment, but like Santos saying, no, you guys don't deserve this. I thought it was okay. It was fine. I enjoyed it. Now, we have some dissensions between the way. Now, Gargano's trying to calm everyone down, and Candice points out how things have been horrible for them lately as them losing their titles. And Candice asks Austin Theory why he's picking fights with people he can't beat. And Andy Hartwell tells Candice, stop being so hard on them. She clearly wants to kiss Dexter Loomis. And Hartwell and LeRae argue while Theory shakes his head. And grabs his gear and walks off disappointed. While the others fail um, that he's leaving. And that could also be a hint that he might be 
leaving the the way, and they might call up Austin Theory to the main roster. That's just a theory of mine, no pun intended. We had the NXT breakout tournament. Odyssey Jones defeated Andre Chase, the former Harlem Bravado. And I thought it was pretty well done. And Odyssey Jones, man, he's going to be a future star if they play the cards right. He has that. I could get over babyface look. The crowd popped so big for him. And I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, Odyssey Jones, he is somebody you're going to be looking at as the next big thing for not only NXT, but in WWE, if they play their cards right. So I think he's going to do pretty well on uh, NXT. So he defeated Andre Chase, and he advances to the tournament. I don't know who he's going to face next. Maybe it's Duke Hudson. Just going to have to find out. Now, Mackenzie Mitchell, she's been doing a lot of work. She's backstage with the NXT Tag Team Champions, MSK. And she's wondering what's next for them. And they, and he says they will wa- ride this wave of momentum and look forward to the next challengers. And Mackenzie asks, you never told us what MSK stand for. And they tell her, the picture this, in Dayton, Ohio, 2015, and it immediately cuts to Imperium. And it looks like they will be next in line. They said, um, but they'll t- Barthel talks about how his father told him when he was young that he had to respect the business. The mat is sacred to them. They go on knocking the rest of the tag team division here to preserve purity of the sport by any means necessary. And then they come back to MSK and they said that is what MSK stand for. And I'm like, this is hilarious. I thought it was funny. Very, very funny. Um, we cut to Pete Dunn and Oni Larkin, but before we get to that, it looks like this is setting up Imperium versus uh, MSK for the tag titles, which I would not mind. I think this should be a pretty good match. So we have Pete Dunn and Oni Larkin. They're backstage talking about Thatcher and Ciampa and um, stepping into them last week. Stepping to them last week. Dunn says he's been calling everyone out. Darren, whoever thinks they are, are better and better technicians to step up. Last week, Thatcher and Ciampa finally did. And he challenges them to a match next week, which I think is going to be pretty fun. Drake Maverick, he got a win over LA Knight. And look, he told Cameron Grimes hold the title up. And LA Knight went through the title behind the ref's back and Drake Maverick rolled him up for the win. So, Grimes is thrilled with Drake's win, but LA Knight... Had enough. He un- he unloads on Drake Maverick. And he says, this is all your fault, Grimes. And he comes in and he puts his hands on Knight. Grimes does. And he tells him, stop, because the match is over. And he yells at Knight's face, this isn't over. It's your turn. You have to hit him. Hit Drake Maverick. But the crowd's like, please don't do it. No, no, no. And Grimes hesitated and he drops Drake. And he wasn't happy about it, so... Literally, this is leading towards Grimes getting what he really wants. That million-dollar championship. And when he wins it, he's going to make L.A. Knight's life a living hell. And these two have really great chemistry when it comes to their segments. So I got to give them credit where credit is due. In my honest opinion. Now we get to the NXT Women's Championship match. Which is the main event of the show. 
Now, the best way I could describe this, this match felt rushed. It felt rushed because it was after when Raquel did that corkscrew senton on the apron. And you could see, like, Zia Lee was just hurting. She was in pain. And kudos to referee Aja Smith for stopping the match and checking to make sure she was all right. And good news is, it's not a serious injury. It was just an injury scare, and they rushed to the finish, and that was it. But I will give Zia Lee credit. She did hang with the NXT Women's Champion. And I expect big things for her in the future. So they celebrate. Samoa Joe comes out after that title match. And he calls out Karrion Cross, And he goes on about how there will be a reckoning tonight. And he will stomp Cross all over the building. Now Karrion Cross appears on the big screen. And says this isn't the same place Joe walked away from. And he declares that this is the new beginning. The weight of the future. And this means he can go wherever the hell he wants. He can do whatever he wants. And hurt anybody he wants. For example, and the camera pans back and we see General Manager William Regal just lying down on the floor in pain at Cross's feet. Joe, he goes out of the ring and he rushes to the back. And Cross asks Joe if he still feels he's in control. And he walks away. Saying something to Regal about who's watching you, who. And while Regal is laid out of the pavement, and Joe runs up yelling at Cross, but it's too late as he speeds off. And NXT goes off like that. So I still believe, I still believe that um, Cross. And Joe is going to be a match at TakeOver for the NXT Championship. After what happened to General Manager William Regal, I feel that he's going to let Joe wrestle and take the title from Karrion Cross. I still believe that. They're not going to strip Karrion Cross off the title. I think they're going to put it on Samoa Joe. That's what I feel like is going to happen. And what if Joe brings back the Muscle Buster? That would be awesome. And Joe would be a three-time NXT champion. And it would be a big win, if you ask me. So, I love it. I think that's where it's going to head to next week. It's going to be on Sci-Fi since they taped for two weeks. So, don't worry. It's only because of the Olympics. But they left you hanging with a cliffhanger. And we're going to find out what happens next week on NXT. So that this should be pretty uh, this should be a pretty enjoyable episode. If you did not read the spoilers, I try I do my best to try and avoid the spoilers. And I know some of you don't read the spoilers. Hopefully you didn't read the spoiler. That's the best way I could say it. Uh Smackdown. Smackdown in Cleveland, Ohio and two matches that took place at the Rolling Se- loud uh event and i'm gonna say this i thought it i thought the show itself was very enjoyable to watch and again it's they're doing a pretty good job on smackdown but 
I'm I'm gonna say this. Like, you see the big difference between SmackDown and Raw. They are just so in, like SmackDown is more enjoyable than Monday Night Raw. And I'm being completely honest when I say it. Even when you have live crowds in attendance, SmackDown still finds a way to be enjoyable and entertaining. Now, we kicked off the show with, when I was at MechaCon, I just said, let me guess, they're going to kick off the show with John Cena. And lo and behold, we kick off the show with the C-Nation, John Cena. And he says the crowd is amped up tonight, and he understands because it's a hell of a week. He was so excited over Money in the Bank that he had to visit Raw for a fan Q&A. And he makes a joke about being the peacemaker and losing the Firefly Funhouse match to Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania last year. Bray Now, Cena also mentions that he's how he's here to chin-check that lifeless egomaniac, Roman Reigns. And Cena says, yes, he came back to challenge Reigns for SummerSlam. And he mentions the MLB Cleveland Indians changing their name to the Guardians, which is a true story. They have changed their names to the Guardians. Cena says someone needs to protect WWE because SmackDown with Reigns as champion absolutely sucks. And he says that's just his perspective and his his opinion. Now, John Cena, I respectfully disagree, but I think Roman Reigns as champion right now, he's doing the best work in his entire fucking career. And I'm being real when I say that. Um, Cena knows that hundreds of Reigns fans are out there somewhere. And he goes on to say that fans deserve to be heard. No more Thunderdome. No more LED screens. We are live and in your face. And he says that SummerSlam isn't just a match for a title. It's a chance for all of us to stand up for what we believe in. And what do you believe in? And the fans the fans are chanting Cena. And he asks, are you team jorts or team cargo pants? Are you team hustle, loyalty, and respect? Or a team that fans always reject? Are you team Cena or team Reigns? Now, he says, speaking of Roman, where is he? And he says, Reigns can't see him. And after SummerSlam, Reigns will realize that the champ is here. So he calls Roman Reigns out of the ring so they can make this happen. Make history. But Reigns isn't coming, and he's asked nicely if Reigns will come out. But this brings out Paul Heyman. And Heyman mentions how Reigns can see Cena, but he can't hear him because Cena simply isn't worth Reigns listening to. And he, Heyman gives Cena his words. Cena will get an answer on his challenge sometime tonight, but only when... Reigns decides to come out and show everyone that the tribal chief, wait for it, is here! And he mocks the Cena theme, which I thought was pretty funny. And Cena was looking on from the ring, and I I just said, this was a really good opening segment. Really good opening segment. I enjoyed it, in my honest opinion. We had Finn Balor taking on Sami Zayn. This was the first match on SmackDown. This was fine, just to showcase Finn Balor making his return to SmackDown and on the main roster. Sorry, Sammy, you gotta be the sacrificial L-A-M-B. But, um, like I said, 
Finn wins, and he plays a part in what happens in the main event of SmackDown. We'll get... Spoiler alert. Bop, bop, bop. Now, Kayla Braxton, she's backstage with Baron Corbin, who looks a fucking mess. And she acts about the the crowdfunding website that he launched last week. And Corbin responds by saying that he didn't raise any money. He lost money on this venture. And he said the developer he hired ghosted him after receiving payment and then stole his identity because his credit is gone. And he had to ride public buses here today and he complains that it's about the smell. And he wonders what happens to him. What happened to me? And he just walks off. But don't worry. We'll see Baron Corbin again. Now, Biggie, my boy Biggie, Mr. Money in the Bank Biggie, he's entering the ring. He got a big reaction, like a big organic baby face reaction. And he's about to speak, and the crowd's chanting, You deserve it, which you damn right he deserves it. This man has been busting his ass. And you got a next top babyface for this company. Now, he talked about sun, how Sunday was the night he will never forget. And he was about to continue on, but he gets interrupted by Apollo Crews and Commander Aziz. Now, Crews, he congratulated Biggie for overcoming the odds. And he says Biggie's win was not like was not the same as winning the title. Like what I did at WrestleMania 37. The Dirty Dogs, Bobby Roode, and Dolph Ziggler, they came out. They were about to cut a promo, but they get interrupted by Rick Boogs, who is playing his guitar, and out comes Shinsuke Nakamura to a big pop. Cesaro comes in, and he says, enough talking, and he wants the title in Apollo. It's swing time in Cleveland. So this leads to a big brawl. Cruz, he retreats to the floor. They actually had Apollo swing Cruz. No, not Apollo. I mean, Cesaro swing Apollo. And you had Commander Aziz making the save. And that's that. So, it looks like they're setting up Apollo versus Cesaro for the Intercontinental Championship. I would not be surprised if they put the title on Cesaro as a a compilation prize. Or a constellation prize or something like that. I don't know if I pronounced it right. But you're setting up Cesaro and Apollo. I don't know if you're going to set up... Um, well, we know Big E's going to be doing his thing with the Money in the Bank briefcase. So that's that. And I still be- I still believe he's going to cash in for the WWE Championship and avenge Xavier and Kofi and win the title. I think that's what's going to happen, in my honest opinion. We go to the Rolling Loud Center, and let me be real, one second. I was watching this on my phone, and they did pipe in the crowd noise, but it looked like they weren't interested in seeing wrestling. And I think that is, that should just be a one-time thing. If the crowd is not interested, just don't do it. We had two matches one was Angelo Dawkins and Chad Gable which it was a fine match and we had the Smackdown Women's Championship 
on the line with Bianca defending against Carmella in which Bianca retained in about four minutes. And this was another fine match, but like I hope they have somebody new for Bianca. But I feel like they're going to go with Sasha Banks. I feel like that's the destination they're going to go with. I think Sasha Banks is coming back and she's going to challenge uh, Bianca at SummerSlam. I feel like that's what's going to happen. We go to we go back to Cleveland and we see Kevin Owens backstage with Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox. Now, they're trying to fix Shotzi's tank and Kevin Owens, he doesn't have any advice. And he walks and he bumps into Baron Corbin. And he walks up and says, it's a bad habit picking on the way Owens dressed before and he apologized and asked if Owens can forgive him. Now, KO, he agreed and says, look, it's a bad habit of being a jerk and Corbin says, look, I bought it upon myself. And Owens asks Corbin if he's wearing the same shirt as last week. And Corbin says, it's different, but Owens points out a stain on it and Owens ends up giving Corbin looking, I think it was 40 bucks because it looks like two $20 bills and telling him and he told him, look, try not to be a jerk to anyone. Corbin thanks him and says this will be a big help and he walks off and I had this on repeat so much when I was re-watching it and Shotzi shot the uh, missile and the missile hit Baron Corbin in the balls. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it was just, it was just funny. Then you got Rude and Dolph Ziggler uh, laughing and they snatched the $40 and Owens comes back with a steel chair and chases them away. And he shakes his head while standing next to Corbin who's still down. So it looks like Baron Corbin is the baby face, I guess. But him getting shot in with that missile by the balls, that got me laughing. I thought that was the highlight of that segment. Now, the, the rated R superstar, Edge, comes out. And he's thanking Cleveland and he says, look, we have no idea what these reactions do for him. And he talks about the history and how hard he fought to get all of this back. And he says, we all know that I should be standing here as the Universal Champion. But I'm not. And for one reason. And he says, Seth Rollins. Now, Edge thought, he says, he had his bases covered. He even had the Mysterials to help fight off the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Usos. And he says that this is bigger than the title. And it goes back to 2014. Again, continuity. Ed says Rollins didn't pull the trigger in 2014 when he had the chance because he didn't think Edge would be back. But here he is, and you're in the race, Seth. Edge says Rollins has no idea of the Pandora's box of violence and the mental pain he has opened. And Edge says 
He's learned from the most evil minds in the business. He was in the brood. He was in the Ministry of Darkness. Nice callbacks. Really, like, I love the brood. I still do. And the Ministry of Darkness, oh my goodness, that stable was fucking awesome. Until you ruined it with, It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. Ugh. Uh, just don't remind me of that even though it was just dumb um anyway he says Rollins has no idea of the depths Edge will sink to get the job done but he's going to find out and then out comes Seth Rollins now Seth asks if someone said his name and he's laughing at Edge in the ring and he's talking about the man that he used to be Edge tells him to shut up and says you're embarrassing yourself and he calls him to the ring so they could talk this out man to man and I won't put my hand on you I won't lay a finger on you now Rollins he's heading to the ring and he's saying Edge isn't stupid enough to put his hands on me because knowing what I'm capable of and he rips the city to get some heat and he mentions how he despises people like Edge and John Cena who came back and get spots they don't deserve. And look, Rollins has a, has a point on that because that's kind of true. Now, Rollins wanted to talk about all those things, but the more he thought about it, he agrees with the people. And he's thrilled that Edge is standing in the ring and Rollins calls on the fans to give it up for Grandpa Edge. Which I thought was a nice line. I thought it was pretty funny. And he says, who can't keep his name out of his mouth. Rollins said Edge has been such a scumbag to him. He'd be more than happy to crush Edge's dream and put it into his little comeback story. And he says if Edge keeps pushing him and pushing him, he will end him. And Rollins says he had a chance to end Edge seven years ago, but he hesitated. We get a you suck chant, and and Rollins is in Edge's face, and he says he won't hesitate next time because he has the boot on the back of Edge's surgically repaired neck. Rollins, he laughs about that injury, that neck injury, and he says, and Edge says, he was a liar when he said he wouldn't put his hands on Rollins, and we got this big brawl edge is about to set up for a spear but rollins wisely rolls out of the ring which and i'm and i'm just saying to myself this is perfect they're setting it up we're gonna get edge versus seth rollins at SummerSlam, and i think this is gonna be really great tony storm made her debut against Zelina vega who got a jobber entrance and Tony Storm, it was an easy win. And I feel sorry for Zelina Vega. The fact that she came back, she hasn't even won a match since she came back. And I don't know if this is them sending a message to her husband, but if they're being petty by doing that, I just question why does Zelina Vega come back? I felt like she could have been better off doing things at other wrestling promotions. I'm just saying. Like, I'm just saying. But I feel like she, 
Like, she lost every single match when she got back. She lost to Liv Morgan. She lost in the Women's Money in the Bank. She, she's lost to, to Tony Storm. Now, granted, this was all about making Tony Storm the next big star because, motherfucker, if you don't push Tony Storm to be the next big star, you're doing yourself a disservice. Tony Storm has it. And she will, she will, and I'm saying this right now, she will be the future of SmackDown and, and this women's division if you play your cards right. So hopefully they play their cards right. We had Jimmy Us- we had Jimmy Uso versus Dominic Mysterio. This match, I thought this was the weakest match on the show. I didn't. I wouldn't say it was. No, I will say it. It was terrible. It was terrible. And Jimmy Uso, he gets the win. And out comes Roman Reigns. To answer the challenge for Summers, to answer John Cena's uh challenge. Now the tribal chief calls on Cleveland to acknowledge him, and he got a mixed reaction. He looks at the camera, and tells the people at home to acknowledge me, and he says you might as well because everything else, everyone else is, including Cena. Rain said Cena acknowledged him at Money in the Bank. He acknowledged him at Raw. And he acknowledged him tonight on SmackDown. Rain says he wanted to acknowledge Cena. He really did. But Hollywood fooled him. And they put a whole new paint job on Cena. Now, this, this line here, I, like Reigns, he cut a really great promo in the main event. He said, I thought we get something new, but Cena came out and he's putting on a nostalgia act. The same thing, the same music, the same outfit, the same entrance, running to the ring, promo, insults, everything. Rain says if he wanted to do that, if he wanted that, all he had to do was search online for 2005 John Cena. It was the same thing over and over. Like, and I love this line right here. Like missionary position every single night and when I heard that line my mouth just fucking opened like holy shit he didn't just say that and I'm like this is fantastic Rain says he's not interested in that he doesn't get motivated or inspired by that and he says Cena's right I can't see you and I don't want to see you I don't need to see you John Cena and Rain says I have no desire to see Cena and guess where where we're not going to see Cena we're not going to see him in the main event of SummerSlam because my answer is no and out comes Finn Balor Reigns he looks surprised and Balor's marching to the ring Reigns is telling Balor that Heyman tells him you're here to follow suit like Cena did and you're going to acknowledge me. Now Heyman raises the title behind Reigns and Balor says I'm not here to acknowledge Reigns but if Reigns isn't interested in Cena's challenge 
maybe you'll be interested in my challenge. Now, Reigns, he's laughing, but the fans are doing the yes chant. Yet, there's some of the fans on social media who are just say Daniel Bryan's a sellout. The yes, the yes chants are still there. They're still there. Heyman says something else to Reigns as the ballast stares them down. And I love it when the crowd is chanting Roman scared. They did not pipe it in. That was an actual chant. Roman scared. And Roman pretty much accepted the challenge. And they stared at each other as the show goes off the air. Now, this was a great segment. A great segment to close out a really good show. Now, Finn Balor versus Roman Reigns. If it's not for the title, I mean, look, it would make sense because Balor can make the claim that I've never lost that Universal Championship. And I will have every right to get it back. But I feel like Sami Zayn is going to cost him the match. I feel like that's what's going to happen. That's just my theory. And um, this is going to lead to Cena hitting the AA. And this leads to Roman accepting the challenge. That's what I see happening. But that was SmackDown. Like I said, I thought it was a pretty good show. And really an enjoyable one. Way enjoyable than Monday Night Raw. But, um... And that's it for this episode of this podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this amazing episode. Make sure you guys leave a positive feedback for the show as it helps out. It is 2.42 in the morning. It is close to 3 o'clock. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I still have that little energy in me to finish off this podcast. Uh, make sure you guys follow me on Twitter at ShinoDPhoenix. Follow me on Instagram, CoolManSip. Like the Facebook page, No One's Ready for Wrestling. And I will see you guys next time for episode 127 of No One's Ready for Wrestling. So until then, take care, be safe. You guys have a good night. Support wrestling as much as you can. And this Phoenix flies off. I'll talk to y'all later. Peace out, guys. Bye-bye.